word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. We are going to be ah, we are going to be spoiling the shit out of the entirety of the Mistborn trilogy by Brandon Sanderson. Because we done. We done with era 1. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers like we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. What up? It's PJ. I'm <laughs> fucking with the format. <laughs> what what up? I'm, <laughs> I'm here. I'm doing it. We have a doorstopper of an episode today so i'm gonna i'm gonna waste no time in getting us to talk about our drinks mm-hmm. so today is our wrap-up discussing the hero of ages by brandon sanderson and we are going to be talking about the entire fucking book and probably some things that are you know arrow wide there might be some questions that pertain and some answers we're going to save some of our thoughts and questions and kind of musings for our our final wrap-up episode that we're having on sunday but for the most part We'll, we'll be sticking to that formula. We may have some stuff, some like side things about Elantris. We probably won't talk about it too much. If anything, we'll try to segment that out so that you know to hit skip. But mm. yeah, cool. So before yeah. we get too far in, let's start with what we're drinking today. PJ, what are you having? A lot, apparently, based on these notes <laughs> and how many predictions I got wrong this time around. But the cocktail that I made, I wanted to do something sort of themed out and... Had a little bit of fun with it. So I'm calling this Of Ruin entirely. So Of Ruin, two ounces of mezcal, one ounce of lime juice, one ounce of hot honey syrup, six drops of Bitterman's chocolate bitters, all of that shaken, served over ice in a smoked double rocks glass, garnished with a lime wedge and rosemary yeah rosemary sprig which i torched so how's it taste fucking delicious it tastes really really good like a essentially a smoky spicy margarita is what it tastes like okay all right you can can kind of see that from those (laughs) from those ingredients i i had forgotten so i looked at the photo and I was like, whoa, just from a distance, I, I didn't really look up at it close. And I was like, whoa, it's catching some like weird light and reflecting off the wall. And then I clicked into it and I was like, oh, no, that's the smoky sprig. And he like got the smoke when it was like going. Yep. So it looked great. Looks really great. Um, it's really it sounds really like it tastes really great, too. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. Noise. Yeah. Crossland, you, you have that a with? book. Oh, I I'm do. following that up. But yeah. Got, yeah. What's your back app here? <laughs> I went to the liquor store and wanted to try something new. I've had Antihero by Revolution Brewing Company years and years and years ago, but they had a Hero mix pack. So it's a mixed 12 pack with four different beers, including Antihero, but one of them is Valkyrie Hero, which is a hazy rye IPA. So <coughs> excited to give that a shot because I, I don't think I've ever had a rye, like a hazy rye. I love rye IPAs. Or rye PAs, as they're sometimes called. But that 
flavor doesn't really mesh super well with the really citrusy hops that you expect in a hazy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, looking forward to it. But have you popped it to try it yet? I just did. Let's see. Hmm. I didn't pour this into anything, so I don't know what it actually looks like. But if you gave me that and told me it was a like standard West Coast style or American IPA with rye, I'd totally believe you. It doesn't really have the sort of hazy IPA characteristics that you look for with like the more full body and the, I don't know, low bitterness. Like it's, it's essentially just an IPA and I don't know why they're calling it hazy. Hmm. So, but I guess hazy doesn't necessarily mean new England, does it? It's true. Right. Yep. It's just that we equate those things. Yeah. They, it feels shady to market it that way. If that's indeed the case of what's going on. But following that, I've got anti-hero because I know I'm going to be taking a lot of sips, a lot of drinks for my predictions. So I grabbed two backup beers. I'm having yours. I'm having your back half beer because you have a lot to talk about right now, my friend. (laughs) I do. So I made a trio of Almantic shots. And in all honesty, me talking about it isn't going to perfectly do it justice. So make sure to go look at our Instagram and go double check our website to check out the drinks so you can actually see the photos because they're really pretty. They are really, really pretty. Also, I'm sorry. I'm going I'm going to update all of my entries. I'm going to put them in. I, it's been a bit since I've added any to the website, but I will do that. All good. But I've got four to enter because I made three shots in a cocktail and they're all new shit. Like I, these don't exist anywhere else and they're all tasty in their own right. So I'm very excited to kind of talk about this. Okay. So the first one that I have is called, we, we decided to name these in the devil's cut. So if you want to listen to that, you can hear exactly why they're named, what they're named. But the first one is kind of a purple and so we, it kind of made us think iron, like the lines that burst out of you when you, when you burn iron. So we're calling it lurch. What it is, is it is one ounce of end of days Luna Bloom gin, which is their new kind of butterfly pea flower. I think that's what it's called. Butterfly pea flower gin. So it's kind of, it's typically got a blue hint, but when you hit it with different citrus levels, it changes the color. Very simpler, similar to like Empress Gin, I think is the other brand that's kind of doing a similar thing at the moment. But I think that this tastes better. So anyway, getting back to it, one ounce, end of days, Luna Bloom Gin, quarter ounce of grapefruit juice, an absinthe rinse in your little shot glass, and a quarter ounce of maraschino cherry liqueur. It is fucking delicious. Some of that's on the gin. Some of that's on the way that the grapefruit pairs with the gin so well. And just that little hint in that absinthe rinse inside of these little, they're like 2.5 ounces actually. But so inside of these little shot glasses or two ounces, a little bit under two ounces when I measured it. So that's for a shot, basically not to fill one of these, but this is how I made them, you know, do as you will. These aren't necessarily shot to size, adjust them so that they are properly measured for shots and shot glasses. Honestly, these probably make two a piece yeah so what you have there is an ounce and a half the next Mm -hmm. one you have is two ounces and then the one after that is almost three ounces 2.75 ounces so these are ratios not necessarily exactly what you're drinking right yes yes exactly these are definitely ratios um so that's lurch lurch is a, a flowery grapefruit with like this kick almost of like herbaceous umami what's crazy is 
None of that is sweet. There's no simple syrup in this at all. And it is still sweet because of that grapefruit. That grapefruit is just, it gets that citrus note in there, but it's also sweet and it pairs really well with that maraschino and the bloom gin. So it's and super good. I think good. there's some sweetness to that maraschino. Yes. Yeah. Maraschino yeah. is definitely a little sweet. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, all that I mean by that is that there's no syrup sweetness, right? right? So there's no, you're not like playing to sweetness by adding a, adding a syrup there. Okay. That's our iron shot or toes savior, which named after spook, of course, is a little tin shot of alimentic bliss. This one is going to be one and a half ounces of mezcal, a half ounce of lime, a quarter ounce of simple syrup, and about a tenth of an ounce of green chartreuse, just a little bit, just enough to give it that little hint of chartreuse to kind of cut through everything, give it a little herbaceous. This one's probably the most simple. I mean, I kind of wanted something that was a little bit more accessible for people so that they could have like a good mezcal shot. For the most part, this is like a, you could almost equate this to like a a big shift on a margarita recipe, but trading out the triple sec for chartreuse of which you need a lot less of to get, you know, flavor out of. So I really like this one. I think it's great. I think spook would really like it. And he would drink a lot of them while burning pewter now <laughs> to so, make sure that he is a drug. This is something that I think you could do an entire cocktail with this mm-hmm. by taking all of those ingredients and adding them to black tea. Mm, that can actually work really well. That would like pair herbaceously and be like almost a... Hmm. I think you'd probably take out the lime, maybe. Yeah, probably. Try it with, try it without. Yeah, I like that. I almost put my hot honey syrup that I have. So I almost did my Calabrian pepper honey in this instead of the simple, but I decided just to stick with the simple because I was like, I don't know if spice makes sense in there. And I'm glad I didn't because I actually prefer it this way. Next up, the last of the alimantic shots is Claudence Cure-All, which is a copper shot here. All of these, by the way, have metal flakes in them inside the photo. So they have a nice swirl and they look kind of kind of like they're the little vials. Yeah, that you'd see like a Mistborn or Alamance rip out of their pocket. Edible glitter, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's the it's the edible food glitter meant for this. Um, that so. got really, really weirdly popular within the brewing industry for a hot minute there. Mm, like they were doing it? like <laughs> weird unicorn sours that were like dosed with this glitter. It was really weird. Anyway, sorry. I mean, it it looks really cool when it's moving, and I totally get it. It's definitely a gimmick, but. It's an especially great gimmick for this book because it it's like it is it fits perfectly. It looks great, you know, shaking around and seeing it. You can kind of imagine you get that feel like you're holding that power just by even like staring at it and thinking about it a little bit just gives you that memory. But Clon's Cure All, which is our copper drink here, is one ounce tequila, a half ounce Campari, quarter ounce simple, mint, muddled and an ounce of grapefruit. And it is so fucking good. This is the one that I was like, this is the one that I'm going to be drinking first, actually, is is Claudine Scurial because it is so tasty. You wouldn't expect that like mint Campari grapefruit to work together as well as it does, but it do. It it do. Mm-hmm. It do be tasty. It do be tasty. That's the one you took. Mm-hmm. You took a shot of that for our pre-recording shot. Yeah, and I'm do- drinking more, man. Every episode in the Devil's Cut. Once also, again, it's no longer dry July. Us, also, you know. no longer dry July. Yeah. So yeah. now we have a 
cocktails. Cocktails and a traffic jam of predictions to sort through. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Final drink. <laughs> Folks at home, appreciate your patience getting through this with me here. This drink is of ruin. So, of course, I had to make of preservation. You know, two sides of the, of the same coin here, as it were, or different sides of the same coin, I should say. So... What we have, two ounces of mezcal, one ounce maraschino liqueur, a splash of simple syrup, and an ounce and a half of grapefruit shaken, and it's awesome. It's 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 cool that we went accidentally together on mezcal to pair up in this way and went with different citruses and then also different supporting flavors. So mm-hmm. I think that that's really fun that we ended up kind of doing similar things without really planning it. Yeah, yeah I think it. I really like that we were able to name it as we were because mm. I went into it thinking like, all right, mezcal, we've got the smoky notes. I'm going to lean into it as hard as I can and do something ruin based. I, my other thought was calling it like ash mount. Mm. The ash mounts or something like that. Um, yeah. But I like the, the fact that we both did something similar and we're able to name it as such. But, yeah, yeah. I really dug that too. I, I really think that it's, it's neat. I think if I would have if I would have prepped and if we would have, you know, talked a little bit, I probably would have made this with tequila. Just that way we would have had like the opposition there too, where you've got mm. like the smoky and then you've got the you know, the opposite side of that kind of sweeter flavor, sweeter, drier flavor. But yeah. all told, very pleased with how all of these came out. So PJ, that's that's our whole drink section. Before we talk about the chapters. Well, we're going to get sloshed. So it's just like, we're, we're just going to put that on the table real quick. This is going to be an episode for sure. Going to be in a sight in time. Uh, we're going to hold it together as long as we can. But before we get into the predictions, I want to ask while we still have our hats on, our britches, our pants up and everything going the right way. I don't know why I said that. What were your general feelings about this book? Kind of how'd you feel about the book on the whole? How'd you feel about the series now that we're kind of done and over with it? What What's sticking with you and what are your thoughts? So I have a hard time not saying that this is my favorite book mm-hmm. because of all of the rule payoffs that I've been like straining over for the last three books. But that said, I feel like story-wise, it's maybe one of the weakest of the trilogy like there we we, we've gone into detail about that especially towards the end the last couple sections it really kind of gets it feels rushed as far as like motivation payoffs go Mm -hmm. to a certain extent but god damn those rules are sucking me in i love them just getting getting the full breakdown and and more full understanding of the magic system that we've been living and breathing for the last several months with an intentional sort of bit of mystery to it, but understanding the entire time that there's an underlying underlying rule set that that was being followed. I felt like that payoff was genius and masterfully done. So yeah. Those are kind of my my general thoughts on it. Depending on what perspective I'm looking at, it's either my most favorite or least favorite <laughs> of the trilogy. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I, I think that's a really fair analysis, though, because it does 
it does feel like in some ways the weakest from a writing standpoint in certain sections. And then at the same time, it feels like Brandon's grown up and matured in writing, which is why I think the whole thing feels like the most inconsistent entry, if that makes sense. It it mm-hmm. lifts a lot with a ton of exposition. This book is mostly exposition, which leaves the plot kind of dangling through the whole thing and really kind of leaves our characters out to dry a little bit more than, you know, I'd prefer. And by our characters, I don't mean all of our characters. We have a lot of characters that are given the time to shine in this book of which I really appreciate. I really like how this book gives us a spook arc and like really pays it off. That's something that I feel like is fairly common in other pieces of media is to go like, well, I really I really like the series. I would I would like pay money to have like a book that was this character or like, you know, a novella that was this character. And inside of this novel, we basically get a little spook novella, which is cool, which I think is great. And then we also, you know, we fully pay off Sazed, of whom, you know, has been a character up until this point. So it it feels that also feels great. It's yeah. True. Yeah. I agree with mm-hmm. you there. I feel like there's still more to learn about Sazed, but that's just based on like the reveals that we get in the epilogue <laughs> through the through yeah. the logbook and through conversation with Spook. That's fair. That's fair. And there is still there's still some things there's still some things to learn. I mean, obviously the series on the whole isn't done even as far as the new book that's coming out isn't going to end the series. Brandon as early as earlier this week was saying that it's going to take him about at this point to get through all of the things. It's like he's basically got a 20-year plan. And that's like that's crazy to think about from you know a number of perspectives so yeah but how old is brandon sanderson at this point 40 something oh he's oh for some reason i thought he was in like his mid 50s no 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 no. i want to say okay he's 46 now so he'll be pushing 70 realistically by the time he gets through this whole thing i mean 66 Assuming he follows that plan exactly. He's he's making assumptions that he's not going to follow the plan as he wants because he thinks he can get it done in 15. Okay, he's basically giving himself a five year buffer. So, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Like you're saying, you know, what are the chances that he's going to do that? I think Brandon Sanderson, along with Stephen King, is they're like the two most consistent writers that exist they pump out you know i mean king king in his prime was doing four books a year sanderson's doing like two and a half but just just going so kill it yeah it's kind of wild two and a half three and some of those are crazy length so it's also tough to even go like compare you know three to four to two to three it's like some of these are like four hundred thousand word chunkers so you know like next year we're reading four books that he wrote in a year and a half like in addition to the other book that he wrote over the course of the last couple of years which we're reading you know in a couple of months so it's like he wrote five books in the span of two years um we're, six we're books. almost it's almost like we're covering the books at the same rate as he writes them there genuinely <laughs> there was there was a someone of whom was in one of the discords kind of sending messages when I was talking about kind of scheduling and the way that we're planning things. And this was before kind of the Jade City Greenbone Saga turnoff that we're going to take. And they were like, well, you could just follow Brandon's writing forever. And I'm like, 
Yeah, we we could. I personally think that there are other shows that do that explicitly, and that's great. We like to kind of think of ourselves as a breadth and try a bunch of things. And, you know, we are going to do the entirety of the published Cosmere up until Stormlight 5 and then probably take a break from it for a while and go other directions and come back whenever it suits us in a short pour or whatever. But that's what for I want to do. Reason, I really appreciate that we've made the decision to do Greenbone and to mm-hmm. kind of branch out a little bit because it's kind of daunting the amount of material that feeds into this and i want to cover all of it i really do at this point it's just that is a task so being able to break it up at the very least will be good i think I definitely agree i think that it is not only is it going to be kind of a task to get through but i also don't want to make it feel like a task if that makes sense like i don't want to make it feel like it's kind of i don't want to turn the podcast accidentally into coloring by numbers which can be very easy i think if you cover the same person's writing for so long which is another reason that i'm very excited that we're going to break it up we get some tonal shifts we get some comparisons and you know you have more more under your belt so that you can draw more comparisons and think of different things and different approaches and approach stories differently so i'm I, a I think reader that- now crossland I know you've read so many books this year, like four, Uh, like four whole books, five, right? Warehouse. You read Paradox, too, didn't you? Yeah. Warehouse. Paradox. Paradox. Mistborn. So that puts us at five. Elantris, six. By the end Uh, of the year, you're going to hit ten. When did Dark Age? When did we finish Dark Age? Oh, that was November of last year. Okay. So Dark Age. Yeah. I want to count calendar year. I want to, I want to take into consideration your calendar year. Yeah. So, so far you're at six. I think by the end of the year, you'll be at 11 or 12 for the show. But now I'm excited to have, now I actually am getting excited about reading things on my own, which is never, it's never once happened before (laughs) (laughs) in my life until starting this show. So yeah. You did it, Crossland. Mission accomplished, which is very cool. So all of that to say, I do want to bring something up, and I think it'll be a question that we can talk about more. But there is some fresh news that we should just address since we're here. It seems very likely that there is going to be an adaptation of Mistborn in the near future. Sanderson on, I think it was two days ago from the time that we're recording this. So I think it was August 3rd or 4th or something like that. Basically confirmed that there will be this time next year he should be in production on something and he can't announce what project he can't announce with whom or anything like that but he's hit a point where he's gone from just options to them approaching him with a full production team saying we're ready to go and now there's kind of an internal question of you know they have the budget they have the the scripts are starting they have a lot of things that are actually in place they have casting kind of nailed down for wants wishes desires so now it's just a matter of sorting out the money counting it all so yeah counting it all perspective yeah so that's been taking up a lot of his time so that's a part of the reason as we discussed previously that stormlight 5 got pushed to 2024 which honestly pretty convenient for us not convenient for fans on the whole but great for for covering what we're covering so right yeah 
Okay, I guess I didn't really say my general thoughts. I, I've been baking something that I think I've been, I've mentioned, or I haven't mentioned explicitly, but I, there's been something kind of clawing at the back of my mind for a bit as we've been covering the series. And I think that it's actually a lot more hopeful than it might sound when I say this. I think the Era 1 Mistborn trilogy is my least favorite Cosmere entry. I think, on the whole, it is, it, it's, and that's not to say that it's bad by any means. That's not kind of what i'm getting at here but i think that the magic system is incredibly unique i think that sometimes the characters are kind of inconsistent a little bit throughout in the books themselves they're consistent book to book they're not necessarily consistent and the writing book to book also isn't consistent which is interesting and a little bit it it's incongruous in a way that I didn't love in this pass. And I think that's all all the negative I really have. I still really enjoyed the series again on the way through. And I think I agree with you. Hero of Ages is my least favorite of the books. When we started, I was pretty sure that Mistborn was my least favorite. I love the way that Hero of Ages has these like highlights. It has the highest highs. For me, it also has the lowest lows and just kind of a lot more plotting points that I, I don't that I don't think really matter in the long run or that, you know, kind of feel like wasted page, not not wasted pages, but not impactful pages in the way that others do. And I know it's kind of been on a popular opinion. I know that a lot of people don't like The Well of Ascension. I strictly think The Well of Ascension is the best book in the series in era one. But like I said, highest highs, lowest lows was kind of my my takeaway from heroes. Mm-hmm. I can hero. see that. Yeah, but it makes me very excited to cover era two for instance, of which we're going to go into, you know, pretty soon and excited to eventually get to Stormlight and to cover Warbreaker, you know, in a couple of months as well on a short pour and kind of work through those because I think truly it's only uphill from here. All right. That makes me excited because yeah, I'm happy with where we're at right now. True. Yeah, I, I get that. I had an okay time. <laughs> I think you you mentioned something fair to me that I think mm-hmm. will probably ring true knowing like how this goes first pass is a really really like crazy wild ride second pass you pick up a ton of stuff that you didn't pick up on the first time because you were missing context and you were missing information but your third time through which is what you were doing all the magic's gone like all the all the frostings off the cake, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It was like the, the dry cake had been exposed to air for too long and it felt like it hadn't had, like it had just been left out too long. I mean, and part of that's because of the freshness of how many times I went over it. But I think like I hadn't, I hadn't had the ability to grow fond of it because I hadn't been far enough away from it for long enough or, you know, like want to return or have a desire to immediately. So I, I think that that impacts it, but I, I do also, I think, especially in the Hero of Ages, a lot of my issues with Brandon's Wheel of Time books we like came back to me this time around when I was like done looking at the glowy, glowy, flashy, flashy. And I think that's kind of what what stick stuck with me and why I've kind of came to this conclusion. That said, like I said, I I like the books. I like these a lot more than I like his Wheel of Time books, of which I've mentioned. I don't know that I've mentioned it overtly on the show so many times. I've mentioned it many a time in private conversations and things like that. I did not read Brandon Sanderson because of his Wheel of Time books. I did not like them. I still to this day, I'm I'm considering a reread on my own (laughs) to see if I have changed. But 
yeah so we'll see i'm willing adult crossland is willing to give them another try but yeah 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 so it's probably safe to say we won't cover wheel of time no it's too long it's straight up (laughs) for like our format i mean maybe but i doubt it i would would you recommend i watch the the amazon show or not oh i love the show yeah okay i like it i like it quite a bit i think that it is what's funny is that people who haven't read the books like it a lot more than people who have and i really like it i think that's because people are dumb i think that's that's why okay shows great writing shows great action it had a shoddy cgi sequence unfortunately because of covid unable to be able to do live things and they unfortunately had an actor leave which forced them to diverge the story in a fairly interesting way weird in the middle of filming (laughs) yeah yeah so they had to like really kind of there there's a moment that happens later in the story that they basically had to kind of shoehorn in now to make it kind of make sense. They're also turning, you know, a 14, 14, 15 book, depending on if you count the prequel series, into eight series of TV. Eight seasons of TV is the plan. So they have to cut some things out and also condense some things. So they really condense the first. Their plan is, is to basically get through book three with season two. And then the show re- or the books really open up after the first three books. The three, the first three books are kind of like Robert Jordan's riff on Lord of the Rings. If that makes sense. Okay. Cool. Well, not ring in the fire, but you know, it's fine. It's like a whole edit to the pile um, of shit that I have to watch, including better call salt and <laughs> we'll times only eight episodes. What's the other thing that I hadn't finished yet? Love death robots, Mr. Robot, Mr. Um, Robot. But you and I were talking about something like yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'm like halfway through better call Saul and I'm like halfway through oh the boys oh yes right yep yep mm-hmm. so add it to the pile yep keep On adding to it to the pile the never shortening pile yeah mm-hmm. it just continues to grow forever and ever until you pass away and just kidding do more podcasts and watch less stuff <laughs> <laughs> do more podcasts watch less stuff do more podcasts watch less stuff do more podcasts have time to do nothing have nothing to podcast about take a break <laughs> watch a bunch of shit do more podcasts um, all right should we talk about this book it is time to begin the predictions with that i'm actually going to swap out these shots pj do you want to read the first one the first prediction was vin and kelsier also share a conversation around snapping and the implications therein. Kelsier explains that he snapped when he when Mare died. When do you think Vin snapped? And my so answer our, to that, hmm? I was going to say this is our furthest back question. So this is all the way back in the first book. I think it's about ha- a little bit over half the way through the first book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that sounds about right. When so, do you think Vin snapped? You said my answer was. I asked a clarifying question that didn't get answered. <laughs> um, does she ever mention using her luck with Reen? If not, I'm guessing it's when he leaves her. If so, I have no idea. I said that. That's a dumb answer. Because the answer is birth. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I'm drinking <laughs> for that one. Cheers. 
Drink number one. One prediction down. Next one. I'll read the whole thing here for you. Vin then has a very strange interaction while burning bronze, listening to the thrumming of metal, sounding like a distant drum until she actually does notice someone burning metals. There's an image in the mist forming, becoming more solid as it's encircled. And when it takes a step forward, Vin throws coins and jumps away. What could this be? You said. This, I think, think ties... I figured we'd just switch full. Oh, shirt sure. full yeah, board. Yeah, yeah. You said this. I think ties not only to what Marsh says later that the mists are coming during the day, but also what the Lord Ruler warned about—that he was actively doing something to keep the realm safe. Now that his influence is gone, things are going to start coming back. This, I think, is one of those things. It's kind of true, but not like that's not the reason. The yeah. well comes back after a thousand years, and the Lord Ruler was just waiting that time out. He wasn't like keeping it at bay. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. Me. Yeah. This miss spirit doesn't have anything specifically to do with the Lord ruler being there or gone. Right. Next up. Uh, another detail here. They weren't able to find the Lord rulers cash and they don't believe that the a team exists. And it seems to be what's drawing. I write like half sentences for the record. Yeah, <laughs> I can read. I guess I can read mine and you can read yours if you want to okay. do that for the rest of this, because I'll just, <laughs> just fill it in. OK, we're flipping the format like we do right in the middle of an episode here. So mm-hmm. another detail here. They weren't able to find the Lord Ruler's ATM cache and don't believe that it exists. And it seems to be what drawing Straff to Ellen beyond just the power of the central dominance, the power of the a- that the ATM could provide. You had trouble with that. I, I think that was a question that was like in context of like a mm-hmm. series of other questions. Yes. So and we plucked it straight out of the mm-hmm. previous book. So my answer to that was, I still think the ATM was being used by the Lord Ruler. So my theory was that there was no cash of ATM because the Lord Ruler was using it in some way in order to maintain the power that he had. Like, there was some hidden power within ATM if burned at a certain level. Maybe it's related to what he was doing to hold whatever at bay. Yeah, so that's my drink again, but... I actually think that you are secretly a lot closer here than you're giving yourself credit for, because he was ultimately burning it and doing it to keep ruin at bay. Burning it, not so much, but whenever he was kind of shoveling away as much as he was... His mm-hmm. economic system was meant to keep ATM scarce, even though it really wasn't a scarce metal. So, so. yes, but the the core of what I was talking about was that there was no secret cash. It was scarce because he was making it scarce by using it all as yeah, opposed to I mean, stockpiling. Again, I would say that there is a secret cash because there was in the trust warrant. However, it's not That's, really his cash necessarily. All I'm yes. That's how it actually is. My assumption was that he was taking all of it and consuming and using all of it. So there was no actual stash anywhere. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Totally. Totally understand the context of what you're trying to say. I just want to give you a little bit of credit because I think you were more on to some things than you were others. I did Mm -hmm. just say more on on accent um, you are you were so. moron <laughs> <laughs> you, you were moron one time earlier before mm. um <laughs> all right next one here all this death and destruction caused by the mist that leaves us with questions we've been pondering for a bit but haven't really put anything kind of on as we thought about them do you have any suspicions of what's going on with the mist why do some live and some die being inside seems to actually help 
and they run out of food and starve to death. So this was talking specifically about Sazed visiting the village and kind of the, the death and destruction that they had claimed that the mists had wrought on the mm-hmm. on the town of Ska. Yeah. The murders so, that he had seen. I mean, it's me. Mm-hmm. But what we don't have are the people that survived that. So we don't so we still don't quite know where they are. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's just more speculation going forward. But yeah, wasn't them starving to death by avoiding the mist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a number did starve to death because they avoided the mists. Right. But like, yeah, it was it was for a silly reason. Cool. All right. Next up. Lots of speculation while studying the documents, which is strange for Vin, for sure. She's not usually one to kind of inquire into documentation. She spent some time speculating about Kelsier's real place in this whole mess while thinking about these documents. Do you think he potentially fucked everything up? I honestly don't think Kelsier fucked everything up, unless the fuck up would be the idea to kill the Lord Ruler in the first place in this respect. This Um, is interesting. Yeah, this one's just... This one's not definitively answered at this time because it's we have to know what the actual plan was if there was some sort of cosmic plan from preservation to that accounted for vin and kelsier taking down the lord ruler or if it was a deviation in that like it depends on how much of a plan and how much they can actually influence as gods on this planet well, I think that's the idea of like that's Rune's part of the plan, right? Was to use Vin to kill the Lord Ruler. So like right. that's but but perseve- preservation. Preservation. Why do I always say perseverance? I say it so often. Mm-hmm. Preservation had also selected her. Yeah, and I I can't. I feel like preservation selected her first. Yes, right. And then and then Ruin kind of started influencing, or is it the other way around? That ruin no preservation her. selected first yeah huh that can't be the case because ruin was waiting for somebody with that exact lineage insane mother yeah so ruin picked first right and then preservation noticed preservation picked first and then it also happened to work out that her mother was crazy by the book's definition mm, okay now i have more to think about personally I think Kelsier fucked everything up. I also think Kelsier was manipulated to do so. That's kind of the... So there is one thing that we haven't technically covered in Era 1 yet, and that is the 11th Medal, which is a short story. Highly recommend reading it. It's great. It's easy. It's in Arcanum Unbounded. You have the audiobook. You also have the physical book, so you can check it out whenever you like. It's a prequel that covers Kelsier and his trainer, Gemmel. And that's all I'll really say. It's pretty short. It's a it's a 4,000 word short story. It's very, very short. It does give a little bit more context here, but it's not like it's still without that context. I think we can still pretty easily say that Kelsier was very clearly manipulated by the lie of the 11th metal and believed that it was going to be some trick to kill. And it really wasn't. And so kind of set things into motion for ruin so that Vin could kill the Lord Ruler, of whom would have picked up the power, not released him, and then continued his imprisonment for another thousand years. Right. But does it fuck everything up if now we've got four or five years to annihilate Ruin? What? I don't and understand. That's, that's better than four or five years. Just, it's been I, four, I, however many years it's been since the Lord Ruler died. Mm-hmm. That's how long it took to obliterate ruin 
instead of just keeping him in prison for another thousand years. Isn't that a better plan? Yeah, but it's not Kelsier's plan. You know what I mean? No, like it's not. The, the question is whether or not Kelsier fucked everything up, not whether or not he ruined the plan or destroyed, like subverted the plan. It's whether or not he fucked everything up. And I don't think he did in that respect. So it diverted preservations, the, the preservations plan by the end of Hero of Ages, as it's exposed to us, was for Vin to be the replacement, was for Vin to pick up the power and to become preservation, to be a vessel for preservation. And uh, just keep seemed. ruin held at bay. The idea was to continue an yeah. imprisonment as opposed to just fucking get rid of him. Well, yeah, because preservation is a power of like of dyna- of like of preserving the status quo, of keeping the status quo, right? So, like, preservation's plan was to keep the status quo. I guess what I'm arguing is that while Kelsier's actions destroyed, I I, I want to say ruin, like ruined preservation's plan. I don't think that the end result is better. But up. That's not. Okay, the end result is better, but it did. Right. It is a hiccup in the plan, and it is Kelsier's hiccup. Sure, but is that fucking everything up, as it's written here? Yeah, I just, fuck it. In context, <laughs> to the moment, <laughs> I meant. I know what you meant, but what you wrote in is regards. Better. <laughs> I'll drink for it. All right. Yes. No, no, no. It's it's fair. It's fair. Okay, well, we're both drinking for it. We did put push on it. I do really like this one. This is the Urto Savior that I'm drinking right now. The amount of glitter that I put in this one, though. <laughs> I got a weird um, texture on it. Oh, um, that one. Urto Savior. Mezcal, lime, simple, green chartreuse. That's the one that I think would go with black tea, I think. Yes. I could also see it going really well with ginger beer. Oh, yeah. That could work. Even with the lime, you probably have to add here. more lime actually for that. Mm-hmm. Do it like a mule. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Cool. No, that's that's good. Yeah, this is this would totally work mule style. Great call. It basically is a mule. It sands the ginger beer. Slightly different ratio. Cool. So I asked. I want you to make a wild prediction here. Given what we know now, what do you make of the Hero of Ages, Well of Ascension, the deepness, and the correlation between between what we've seen? What is the deepness? And you said... Maybe a yin-yang style power structure with the Hero of Ages being the good, the deepness being the bad, and the Well of Ascension being the place where their powers can be realized. That is... So, not right, but it's kind of close. It's it's fairly like you you picked out the pieces, right? Which I think the story gives you the pieces and wants you to figure out how the puzzle sits together. All three of the things that you mentioned are actually on the same side, which is great from a from a hindsight perspective. Like the hero of ages is the the hero in theory, but the hero of ages is not what we thought it was. So really, that's kind of a ruined manipulation, I guess. The deepness is the mist, which is the power of preservation. The wall of ascension is the power of preservation in a coalesced form, but. The reason that I'm going to give it to you is because you shocked not only me, but a lot of our listeners inside of our discord when you went off about the yin yang power structure. And specifically, you got a little bit more specific than the answer that you wrote here. And you started to think about like the way that the powers interact against each other and would be pushing. And you went to a lot more nebulous. (laughs) You did. You did. And technically, like you're fair. To be fair, like it's a different coalescing of power. It's more fragmented because it's not all, you know, coalescing into a well. It's a deep mine 
because preservation buried it there. But, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. that's that's an assumption for the record that preservation buried it there. It just seems the most obvious answer. So cheers on that one. Cheers. OK, next up. And then we arrive at the book that they've crafted unbound here to quote. The most important thing that Sazed had ever written, and it's been damaged. Every single copy of that sentence has been damaged and removed from by something mysterious. Sazed remembers the sentence, of course. Alendi must not reach the well of ascension. He must not be allowed to take the power for himself. And I said, all right, man, I need a call. What, who, or how was this done? You said... It is perfectly removed in the same way in every copy, so I don't think it's someone mortal that came into the room i think it's the mist creature that vin sees something that i was assuming was going to happen during my first read through was that there was going to be some sort of corrupted data on the copper mind that would have been a twist for sure which we know to kind of be true right like it's it's not as though the copper mind itself was corrupted right it's not as though ruin actually went in and altered the copper mind but whenever they took something out wrote it down and then, you know, used it, it could be manipulated, which is how the keepers were taught to do everything with their information. So, right. There's a chance that all of that knowledge has Rune's taint on it. That said, it's not the mist creature that was making the changes. No, that removed the sentence. That was the, that was the ask. The mist creature oh, did remove the yeah. sentence. I thought yeah. it was talking about changing things in general. No, 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 no. Yeah, this yeah. was specifically the about the sentence. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I that's assumed that the person removing that sentence was also the person changing the rest of the documents. I would have mm. never guessed that it was two different people or two different beings making edits like that. But that is the case, technically. So the way you wrote this question makes me right. But my intention was broader and I would have been wrong in that respect. Do you you know said, I think that it's the mist creature that Vin sees. Removing, removing this sentence. Mm-hmm. But. So you thought that the mist creature was changing everything? Is that what you're saying? In, that, in my mind, yeah. Hmm. I think you were pretty convinced that there were separate entities at that point. No. I would be curious to go back to the tape on that one. Okay. Just because I, I, really, I really thought that you had separated them out. You were like, I don't think they're the same thing. The thing that's like changing text and then removing text yeah no i absolutely i think i believed that it was all one thing and i think i believed it was all the mist creature (laughs) okay yeah i mean but then uh, again i can't remember what i had for breakfast today because i don't eat breakfast typically but my point is like my memory is shit especially when it comes to things that i predicted or like what I thought yeah. in previous episodes and stuff. Like, I don't, I don't remember. That's I'm very fair. bad. About that. I still drink. Cheers. This is a spree for me here. All right. Next up, we cut to Zane for a moment and he mentions the voice, the voice in his head. God had never tried to convince him to kill her, but God does speak to Zane in those last few moments and lets him know that he wasn't insane. What moment? I was I said, I wasn't looking for a prediction here. I remember this very clearly, but your response was a prediction. And so I was like, perfect. (laughs) So I said, it just sucks. We don't get more out of the, out of this character here. I'm assuming we'll get more out of this somehow, maybe through the spike, but oof, what a great close. 
maybe it's through the spike, I think is specifically what you said, not maybe yeah. through the spike. Maybe it's and through that spike. That reference was enough for everyone to freak the fuck out because they didn't assume <laughs> that they meant that you were going like the data was going to be or like the conversation was going to be extracted from the spike. They believed no. that you believed that the voice came from the spike. And I, I think that's that was pretty much where you were at with it. Yeah. I was thinking that there was there was some sort of some something with the spike. Mm -hmm. So. All right. This is the last of the the tin juice going down or toast savior bottoms up. By the way, I've been meaning to ask you, did you Mm -hmm. try those without the glitter? And does the glitter change the taste at all? No, only the only thing that I would say is that this one had a little bit more because I was a little bit concerned about it shining through kind of the cloudiness that this one had. So I added more to it than the other ones. So my first sip almost had like a little bit of a texture to it. But after that, it was pretty, it was great. Um, But I was just concerned about it. So I added more. So, gotcha. but I did try them all without, and then I did try them with, and then I filled them up because I had extra. So, because I made roughly two and a half ounces of each to kind of, put in i made a little bit less of that one than intended actually i didn't make less fun fact i made it poured most of it in and then accidentally emptied the shot glass into the sink (laughs) without filling it i filled it up like five six of the way up and i was like oh yeah no good sweet and i threw it out i was like what no so i just poured just a little bit of mezcal on top so it's just a little bit stronger than the recipe even cited so just to fill it out (laughs) that's funny Uh, yeah i fucked up okay Mm. next up i'm switching by the way for those paying attention at home to the lurch oh sorry i read (laughs) duh okay (laughs) (laughs) that's why he's like gesturing at me wildly like why aren't you reading (laughs) why aren't you reading this one has your name next to it um uh, after the conversation with yes spoiler after the conversation with Ellen about Ham and the army, Vin tracks down her co-loss friend, Human. They share a conversation about the mists, and Vin comes to some realizations. She believes the mists to truly be an enemy. Do you think they are? This I is do. the most like straight up yes or no question yeah, I think I gave asked. Me, gave me an ask, the uh, yes or no. Book. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And I think they'll I think they slash it treated her well in the past because they needed her to act as a conduit for killing the Lord Ruler. And eventually releasing ruin. Now, the I do part, thinking it's an enemy, I'm wrong about that. And that was the question. But mm-hmm. I'm still not entirely convinced that the rest of it isn't true. And it depends on how cosmic preservation could be. If preservation could say, yes, the Lord Ruler will like lock ruin in his tomb for another thousand years. But Vin could put Ruin to rest in four, nearly kill the world in the meantime, but ultimately save it at the end. I'll take that risk. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that it wasn't entirely... Mm-hmm. I, I understand where you're going. I do want to go to something on this one. Not, not the question itself, but your supposition now a little bit. And this is going to get just a tinge into Elantra's stuff for those listening. Maybe skip ahead a couple of minutes. So with that in mind, in the Ars Arcanum of Elantris, it points out a couple of things that are very important across the Cosmere magic systems in general. And that is intent. And things cannot 
diverge from their intent. And as such, these powers of gods are vestiges, like the powers that they give have intents and they can only be used certain ways. And, you know, they have rules, right? And most of those rules are, are of, in, in the case of Scadriel, are in the case of preservation or ruin. Like those are kind of what dictate them. The powers of preservation are ferrochemy and allomancy. And as such, you know, they're, they're meant to preserve or allow people to, you know, move out of the way, strengthen themselves, dodge things, you know, see things ahead of time. That's, that's the intent. And preservation's intent is sort of a being of pure will to ensure that things survive and persist. Would say that despite being cosmic, that emotional intent that that thing has, it is unable to break innately, which is also why it needed Vin, because Vin was of ruin and hadn't been inhabited by that power long enough to have changed and like molded itself to the power. If that makes sense. And that's yeah. why Vin is able to break with the code and actually annihilate it. So to that end, I think that it is not a, a giant cosmic game that preservation was playing. I think preservation was truly playing the long game of imprisonment is the best solution. Okay. With that context. Yeah, I'm with you. So, and that's, that's where the Cosmere gets really cool because you start to cross beams from things ah, that you read. You start to like just take those different components. I hit my mic stand. Um, <laughs> you start to take those different components and like merge them together to kind of build out a bigger picture of like, okay, what am I staring at here? Like, what's this whole thing? Right. Which is why it's so interesting that Sazed picks up these two these two things and becomes, you know, merges them into one because that effectively, it's not like it, so it merges their intents then, which is what makes him such an interesting character. It makes him a god, not only of preservation of ruin, but of change and coexistence and all kinds of things. So, yeah, cool. All right. Cool. So I, I think you drink that. for that one. I think I I'm did. solidly on the you drink side for that one. Okay. Yeah. Next up. We're introduced to Norden, an obligator and scholar of whom provides us with some factoids and numbers relating to the deaths in the mists, as well as those afflicted. After some questions from Vin trying to pick at the numbers, Norton realizes that the number is precisely 16% across the board, no matter where you look. The question here, PJ, for both you and Vin, is why that number? You said... One for every metal. We're aware of 14. I'm sure there are some additional missing ones. I think I'm right. <laughs> Textually, you I'm are explicitly right. Mm-hmm. But there's actually... At least 18, right? Because ATM and MALATM don't fit in the in mm-hmm. the block of 16. Right. Yeah. So one for every metal. The intent is to be right, but there's actually more than that. Hmm. Here's the hard part. <laughs> I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. I think I think that's what the book is going for and how it's communicating it to you and what it assumes preservation that humanity would know of preservation as a clue that it could bake in. Right. So I think that's right. So I am going to give you that and take the drink. Cool. Next up, Vin focuses in on one bit of the plate text from the very bottom. I have hidden his body well. What do you think this could be pointing towards? The body of the god is the god's power, as mentioned before. So hiding Ruin's body somehow is what I assume is what this is pointing to. Ruin seems to think that this was done by preservation. But maybe the Lord Ruler was acting as a conduit of preservation, and maybe that's why there were multiple voices. 
I don't remember what I was talking about with the multiple voices. I don't know why that's here. I think around I that time we were talking, he yeah. he was saying inside of that whole plate that he was he was hearing voices, right? But those were all ruin from our understanding of the way that that works. So okay, gotcha. Okay, I think this is I think this is me. It's kind of bullshitty. It doesn't really answer anything. The body of a god is the god's power, but that was explicitly textually mentioned. We know that. Yeah. So this doesn't really answer the question, but and I think I, I was wrong that it was, in how I said this too. I think uh, so hiding ruins power somehow is what I assume this is pointing to is what I meant mm-hmm. to say on that. Yeah. Even, even inside of that, just taking the second part of the question, that bit is wrong, which is why I think I decided just to keep it as opposed to having you try to rephrase it. Cause I was like, well, Lord Ruler's mm-hmm. not acting as a conduit to preservation through the multiple voices that he's hearing. It's a tough one. Yep. I'm going I'm to give that to you, though. Okay, next up. Spook brings up something interesting here. He posits that the noblemen are immune to the mists. What do you make of this? Any noble inherently has the possibility of being an allomancer. So my initial assumption is that those two observations are directly related. That's right, but that's dumb. <laughs> that's a you dumb skirted bullshit the answer. answer. You, you skirted it. It was like you, I you didn't say you put, anything. <laughs> you put two dots on the map and you're like, I should draw a line between those. But you didn't like draw the line. However, I do think that you communicated the idea and you freaked enough people out that like, you know, I think they thought that you connected the dots. So <laughs> I'll drink for that. We'll we'll drink for that. We'll push on. That OK, one. fair enough. Fair enough. Because that wasn't my intention. Mm. By the way, this one, the lurch, delicious. This drinks like candy it is so tasty this one is dangerous i'm excited to like see you tweak those a little bit and turn them into like martinis as opposed to oh yeah shots. Th- these are definitely truthfully it is a little b- i'm not drinking them like a shot i'm not taking these like a shot i am I drinking them like a drink out i'm saying for the for the people at home i don't think that these are drinks i think they're all cocktails i think i made four cocktails you know but like half cocktails or like you could call them two thirds cocktails or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. perfect. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the cocktail one that I made is the worst one of the bunch. Like the actual, the of preservation needs the most work. These are pretty good on the round. I think what that one just needs a touch is that more. Glitter tastes good, delicious. I'm very <laughs> curious as to what my teeth are gonna look like when I'm done with this because there's a, a I decent see amount what of glitter. Your pee looks like. Are you gonna pee glitter? Interesting. Or will I poop glitter? Oh, you'll probably poop glitter. Probably. Or mm. f- forever Might your be kidneys will be glittery. Glitterified. Yeah. Sparkly. <laughs> Unicorn. Develop metastasize into awful, awful can. Cool. <laughs> With that. Next one. This was not a question that I asked you. This is something that you came to as a conclusion. So there's not a whole lot more to say outside of is ruin a person? You said... I'm just going to read exactly what we have written down here as my answer. Mm-hmm. Equal to preservation as a person. Ruin and preservation dated at one point. They decided to make this far off world their battleground. This was me typing what you were saying because you were just like going off in like this fan fiction novel. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> so many ideas. Your own AO3 <laughs> ruin and preservation dating novel. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 
Probably not. I don't know. We don't know the backstory of how they got here or how their power was split to begin with. That was a question posed by the book right Mm -hmm. at the end. So I'm not going to say I'm wrong entirely. I think it's fair to push. I feel like this is one that we don't, the the latter half of your question is wrong, but I think that we don't get an answer to the question itself that was posed, which is, is Rune a person? We do see a body fallout of both preservation and of Rune, but we know that, you know, there was a short stocky dude that fell out of the clouds that was preservation with a long nose. And then you've got a red haired guy who fell out when Ruin died. You know, we don't get a whole lot of else than that. Were they people? Are they just, you know, what, what is what? Was that their avatar of some sort? Yeah. So is that, I, I say mean, push. I, I'm assuming based on say, the, the fact that Vin vanished, mm-hmm. I'm assuming the power of preservation and the power of ruin are themselves separate from the people that wield them. So whenever Vin annihilated herself she fell out of the sky because she had preservation's power so these two people are the people previously that were mortals that took those took that power ascended disappeared and then fell out of the sky when they died but that doesn't mean that they themselves were that entity right Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah that's Kind of my thought. But then again, Vin maintained her memories and her understanding and her personship as a god. So that's it's it's hard to make implications there without more information. Very true. I think that that does. Hmm. Yeah. So I say push. Cheers. This is why I wrote this one down because I was like, this is kind of a difficult one to answer and one that I knew that we didn't get an answer to strictly in this book. So that'll be fun. PJ has some broken ASMR. For the record, Discord cuts all of this, so I can't hear it, but I'm sure it sounds great on the tape. (laughs) All right. Uh, We've got our final prediction here. We've made it to the end, PJ, of the predictions that we've been hanging on to. This one, Marsh, the last Inquisitor, is lying there, and she's being consumed by the power, a vast, incredible power, and we cut to Marsh's perspective, and he's won at this point it will all be okay it's going to end and he made a difference for the girl that he loved and his brother and the rebellion at large vin pulls out one of his metal spikes and the pain is there as it leaves his eye and then poof vin vanishes what where'd she go (laughs) poof poof one of the metals she decided to burn caused this or it was a cosmic transportation to a different planet or to the well of ascension so this was right, like this was our like the the end of our second to last section of this book, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, penultimate episode. Yep. So I drink for that seventy three. Yep. I assumed that I assumed she left the world. Really, mm-hmm. that is wrong. Yep, indeed it is. Good work. We got through these. This was this is a fun little experiment to kind of take the dry July and then to pay them all off at once. You know, mm-hmm. not as trashed as we were afraid of being <laughs> by the end of this. But Honestly, intoxicated. 
I think it worked out so well that we ended dry July when we did. Mm-hmm. Or, like, we, we were at this part of the book when we ended dry July. Like we finished it at the end of July. So mm-hmm. I like paying these off all at once because now I've got like my brain firing on like what's been going on throughout the entire series and what I was thinking. So I don't know. I've got a little bit more like backwards context yeah. for our for our conversations. Yeah, totally. That that makes sense. Okay, man. Well, next up is going to be the sort of questions that we had submitted to us, fan questions and, and people of whom support our podcast. We've got people from Patreon, we've got people from Instagram, we have people from Twitter. So we're gonna answer those questions. As many of them as we can get to, of course. So we're getting into these Patreon questions or questions from our patrons. We'll start there. I'm kind of going to jump over a little bit, but we'll mention people's names, of course. I'd like to kind of start it simple. I like the first one that we have here. It's the first one that we had submitted from anyone in regards to this finale, and it's from Artificer. Given the choice, would you rather be an Allomancer or a Ferrochemist? Peter, what do you think? I love the idea of Ferrochemy. I do. And I think if I had to like roll the dice and either be maybe a Mistborn or definitely like you can access everything, you're a Farrakimist. I'd choose mm-hmm. Farrakimy. But if I got to choose to be a Mistborn, I think I'd choose Mistborn, you know? Yeah. I, okay. So I guess I, Alamancer, I want to maybe specific. So you choose to be a Mistborn as opposed to a Farrakimist. Cause I think, but I choose just... Farrakimy over any, like over a Misting in any sense. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, because there are more powers for a fair chemist. So you would choose, though, being a Mistborn over a fair chemist. I think so. Okay. I think I'm on the other side. I think I'd choose to be a fair chemist. I think fair chemi has a ton of cool capabilities, and I think there's a lot more nuance to it than there is with Alamancy. I think I've said that before. It's a lot more internally focused. It's a lot more you focused, and I feel like that would be something that I would prefer as far as you know kind of those manipulations yeah. go i could personally i could flip-flop on this basically any minute you ask me i'm sure <laughs> like yeah. it's a tough it's a tough call and i think it entirely depends on what i'm doing on a day-to-day basis so like if my mm-hmm. normal day would be more well suited as a as a mistborn or like more well supported as a mistborn with like access to steel and iron and Needing to see things very particularly with tin. Those would be the three main ones, I think. I think it'd be tin, steel, and iron that I'd want access to. And you can do that. Those are steel and iron are the ones that are so very different from, like, they don't have a one to one comparison with Farrakami. You know? Yeah. Right. Right. And there's like, there are a number of things that you benefit from as an ally. Like, I don't, I don't besmirch you for your choice of being a mistborn by any means i also agree with you that i could probably be swayed in less than 30 seconds to think that being a mistborn is better um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know i I think we're both kind of going on gut instinct as to like what feels better you know for you daily i think it'd be truly what i would use it for is grabbing stuff from a distance and like throwing stuff away imagine imagine having a dog toy with a little metal bead on the inside of it and i get to just like play fetch with my dog without actually throwing anything all day he'd love that i'd love that it'd be awesome yeah that would be pretty cool i'm really frustrated with with this car in front of me i'm just gonna go ahead and 
push you out of the way a little bit and Boop. keep on driving. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think those would be what I'd actually use on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. then again, copper mines are fucking crazy. Yeah. The, the knowledge, the ability to store strength, the, the kind of idea that you could take these different aspects of yourself and kind of tuck them away to use later, I think would be great because there are a lot of times, you know, sitting at my desk working here, I don't need, you know, all my muscles. I could work through some fatigue and, and store that strength and then, you know, use it later. There is kind of a, I do have a general question that this is more of a, a, I, I would pause it. Do ferrochemists need to like work out to maintain their physique? You know, like I assume so i assume so yeah like usual physique like what their baseline is and is it a proportion or is it like a strict number like if you i I guess i'm i'm not even thinking about it that strictly i'm thinking like a lot of ferrochemy is based on storing certain traits right Mm -hmm. so you can store things like weight to make yourself lighter temporarily and then make yourself heavier right you could do that for quite some time in theory you could make yourself a waif for quite for for a long time wouldn't be great for you of course but you would have a bunch of weight then stored in a steel mine that you could use later so i guess my like you can store strength right yeah and become stronger later yep so if you your baseline is at a point where you can do i don't know because this is hard to quantify in most respects but Going on strength, how much can you bench press to go back to like the high school respectable like strength analogy? How much can you bench? And mm-hmm. if you can bench double what you could before, does that equate to double the stored strength? The stored strength. I'm not even trying to get into the ferrochemy side of things, if that makes sense. Okay. I'm not even thinking about like the the quant I I think that the answer to your question is yes. I think it would double your strength if you had more strength. My question is, is do you need to stay fit at all? Because you can, you know, store like you just do. You just don't. It seems like you just don't like you don't have. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think that is kind of my question. I think at a certain point, I guess I I guess it depends on how much you're relying on your steel or your metal mines. So if you're always going to have it, and I think you can store things while you're sleeping, right? Oh, my God. Yes. Well, yeah, meditating, maybe sleeping. I don't remember. Don't I remember. don't remember either. But I just want to mention Claude and Skirol. So fucking good. I just got to that one. Oh my, yeah, he muted oh his microphone and said, oh, my God, God while I was talking. I did. I did because oh my god it this is this is the winner for sure of mm-hmm. the of the group anyway so sorry to your point sleeping though and charging metal mines well i i think you'd go about your day slowly tapping strength like very lightly tapping strength all day but when you're like not doing anything and you're not around people you're just slowly storing it up as well so i don't think you have to do anything to stay in shape as long as you have your metal mines with you and you're willing to like very slowly use them day by day. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Would you still sign up for an Iron Man? 
or would you feel too cheaty about it? I think that feels super cheaty. You'd have to have a different race. <laughs> That's the thing. Like that would be the thing. You would have the it wouldn't be the Ultra Iron Man, it would be the Steel Man. Which one's speed? It'd be the Aloe Man. It'd be the Aloe Man. It'd be the Aloe Man for sure. Yeah. Ferro Man? Ferro Man could work if you wanted people that only were ferrochemists, I guess. Oh, you're gonna uh, allow like Mistborn in on this. <laughs> Yeah, but they don't get coins. Like, you don't get to carry a lot of shit on you in, in the Iron No, Man. you don't need got coins to, like... I don't know. If there's metal Peter anywhere Bird? on the ground, you can you I just think, jump and, like, launch yourself across entire distances. Well, I think that's the idea, is that you wouldn't... You would, like... You would have to set it up so that people would have to very cleverly use their metals. More like an obstacle course than you would a... More like an obstacle course. Mm-hmm. Less like a, so it'd be, it would be less like an Iron Man as it stands and more like a tough mutter. Okay. You know, I, th- I think that'd be kind be of like American Ninja Warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Which or, is kind of like tough mutters, like kind of, but a little bit endurancey. I can't believe I called it America Ninja Warrior because I used to watch Ninja Warrior as a kid on G4 all the yeah. time. And I, I can't <laughs> yep. believe I delineated that. <laughs> You you a big dumb dummy, <laughs> big dumb dummy. <laughs> no, I I do I do really like that. I think that that could be a really fun race. I like how this spun out of the Farrakhemi Alamancy question. I think that's a good place to leave that one. I think that this will be a fun one to talk about next week. So I'm going to store some of the other questions that I have here because there's some like again going back to the misting or taking. This is a stupid thing, but I'm just going to spoil it. Quote: There are people who have just one ferrochemical ability, and they're called fairings. So just like a misting, hmm. it's a fairing. So, you know, if you didn't have like a fairing ability, what will it be? But I think we'll save that for the wrap up, you know, kind of. That's really that interesting, one. especially yep. because we've only interacted with. It is most definitely it's revealed right away in the beginning of the next book, right away, like first four pages. But it is something that changes between the books. This is the most spoiling that I'm doing for you in this entire series. That is something that changes between eras in a genetic way. Oh, I mean, uh, it makes sense. Like, everyone started out as a Mistborn and right. got diluted over time through the through generations. So, I can see that making sense. This one's so cool. It's super sparkly, I like man. It so much. Yeah, I know. I like it. It stands out way more in that one for some reason. Well, it's because the other ones are more translucent and so kind of see it through it. And these are, this is more of a, like, solid. So... It appears and it gives the fun little wavy boys. Okay, moving on from that one. From Sharkbait, we have an excellent question. This is a 10 out of 10 spicy aff question here from our wonderful patron, Sharkbait. What would your perfect poop room look like? And I added some sub questions for us to talk about here. But PJ, what would your perfect poop room, pooping room look like? What's your what's your throne of dissension look like? Declination. Um. Oh, man. I think it's circular. Okay. I don't know why. Circular. I'm imagining it as circular, which I think is maybe I'm taking it because like that room, the pooping room in this book is circular, right? I mean, yeah, I think it's a kind of a hut. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very subterranean and very, very quiet, very isolated, insulated from any sort of noise. Cold. I think it's going to be like very like ambient cold okay i don't think i need a lot of amenities to it 
You know, like I, I don't, I don't want a bunch of giant like TVs and I just want a nice quiet space, nicely like minimalist sort of decorations and just pleasant to sit in, but not distracting. I don't know. Cold basement pooping room. Okay. I, I dig. I like, I like the idea. The cold, the cold is very specific actually. And I'm not saying that I agree or disagree, but I don't know that I've ever paid attention to temperature. I don't know if that's ever been like a factor in my head, more of a comfortability thing. I in general run very hot. So I like colder spaces. I like, I keep my, my place pretty, I mean, I think by most people's standards, I keep mine at like 70. I have to sleep at like 69, 68, you know, like I have to mm-hmm. sleep a lot colder, but there was a bathroom in the science building at St. Mary's when I went there mm-hmm. that I don't think it had a heater in the, in the bathroom itself, but it was like right next to Ooh, a heat okay. output of some sort. Yeah. So it was like uncomfortably warm all the time. And then you and get like clammy legs. porcelain was warm. Oh, oh, oh. I was so, just imagining getting warm on the toilet, not like the porcelain being warm. Yeah, okay. It, yeah, I mean that too. But like when the ambient temperature temperature is just warm, it's not pleasant to sit there. It just feels really gross. Something about it being cold feels more sterile, feels more clean. And I also run warm, so. Yeah, hmm, Okay. I've got some follow-up questions. I, I do want to lean in to the follow-up questions and then maybe we'll we'll switch and rotate. So okay. some important questions about amenities. You said, you know, low on amenities, but I, I wanna I wanna just check on some preferences here. In your perfect poop room, bidet? No bidet? Bidet. Absolutely. Bidet? Okay. I don't All have right. a lot of experiences with them, but the experiences I experiences that I have are very good. Little footstool, no footstool? I'm tall enough I've never needed one. I've never used one. So that doesn't necessarily change. That doesn't change the question, right? Because the idea of the footstool is to align your body so that it's easier, right? Like it aligns your colon. Just being taller doesn't align your colon. It does, though. A little bit. Because I'm naturally squatting more by sitting down. That's fair. I guess the idea is to tuck your knees more. So your knees are probably closer, higher to your chest on average than. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I guess I was imagining like raising the platform up a little bit and then like giving you a stool. Like I was, that was my, what's the point of more like a throne? Well, just make it more like a throne. (laughs) Comfy. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Would you, would you do that? Yes or no? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. There you go. If it it was Um, a problem, I'd just make a shorter toilet. Fair enough. I'm assuming this is mine. This is this is yours. Me. Yes, this is and just for you. Yes, just for me. Yep. If if that was an issue, I'd just make the toilet a little bit shorter. That's so interesting. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, it totally works. It's uh, that's the other solution. So yeah. Cool. All right. So bidet, no bidet. Of course, we went there, and then we asked the you know stool, no stool. With let's say you didn't have a bidet, does your toilet paper go under or over? Well, you still use toilet paper. I know, but it's it's mostly to wipe up and like dry off more than it yeah. is anything else. Yeah. So I guess, okay, the question stands under or over. <laughs> like over, over the top. So over, not under. I, I Over is the correct answer because then you don't pull it against the wall. because like And you goes, have more space to yeah. grab it. Right. Yep. 
yeah. yep. Proximity to the wall is less from the the roll, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. From the um, point at which you touch as well. Easier to access. This might be like giving away too much information for Tim Olson, but his <laughs> no, bathroom. He so he agrees with us in the positioning. The murder basement he, one, or no, the one upstairs. No. Mm. And maybe it's changed since, but I believe, and maybe I'm misremembering it. But I believe what what the issue was when he had it, the overway, the like air vent in his bathroom was positioned oh in such a way that it all like it would entirely unspool his toilet paper so he had to flip it the other way so when it spun it wouldn't unspool yeah yeah that's totally right that's totally accurate i had totally forgotten about that that was exactly what happened i remember because he he came in one night when we were during kind of like covid time when we were all playing league together and whatnot before we started the show and totally said i came into my bathroom twice to like a completely unspooled toilet paper and you would have thought that i lived with a cat and i finally figured it out after the second roll that it was the air vent (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was a good one so that's the only situation in which you would go under but okay over yeah. just makes more I'm sense down. to me. I think it looks nicer. I don't care okay. so much about the function of it. I mm-hmm. think it looks nicer. Okay. Because more or less the function is the same. Yeah, I think there's a slight cleanliness thing to it because you're so like the function is mostly the same, but like putting your hand against the wall, where's your hand go before that? What's on the wall? Do you have to clean the like because you basically have to touch the wall to get the underside of toilet paper more often than not. So fair. Yeah. Anyway. Regardless, final question. What's your hand soap scent of choice? Hmm. I, man, I like a lot of different scents. You got to pick one. I know. Also, I think they change throughout the year. That's reasonable, but you got to pick one for your perfect pooping room. Perfect pooping room. Something maybe, God damn it. Rosemary. I think I'm going to go with Mm. rosemary. Okay. I love the smell of rosemary and it's not only because I have a sprig of rosemary, right? You just do in general. We, we've talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also like different different herbs like that. Sage, I think, makes a really mm-hmm. good scent. I love I love citrus, but that doesn't fit the vibe I'm going for in my pooping room. You know? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I would agree with you. I would not go with the citrus hand soap. Yeah. So definitely something a little bit more herbal room. or... Not smoky, but kind of more on the on the how would you describe it savory side of smells. Yeah, I I know precisely what my hand soap of choice is. All right. I'm I'm dialed in on that one. All right, let's go with you then. All right, perfect pooping room. Looks like a fusion of Hieronymus Bosch, Boschian artwork, and Salvador Dali. So the walls are melting. Everything is bad. Everything looks like it's dying. It's just chaos everywhere as you walk in. And, you know, assortment of colors and splatters and some weird looking dude with an elephant and like four penises hanging off of his face and they're kind of melting into the sun. And that's that's kind of your your vibe as you walk into the room. Okay. To start. Okay. Definitely not that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to see where you went with it. (laughs) For sure not. I just wanted to see if I'd break you and be like, why the fuck would you want that? I was wondering how far I could push you and I just didn't want to go too far. I feel like that something like that could have a place though. It, it totally could in an art museum. (laughs) 
No, but I, I know. If, you, I know. if you've got a very people, large house with yes. every room is kind of themed out and mm-hmm. you have like the weird art bathroom. Mm-hmm. Like I could see it totally. happening. Yeah. You and I it's could definitely see you not doing unreasonable. It. It's definitely not unreasonable. It is not what I would do for my perfect pooping room, though. Okay. I think I agree with you. I think it'd be pretty minimalist. I'd probably have some some things that I find comforting around me. I I've bought a couple of pieces of artwork for a bathroom before. Like when I lived in New York, I bought some New York themed stuff. I think I would do something that makes me feel either at home in the place that I live in the moment. So you know, New York, New York, or like beachy, and kind of go with the the vibe that feels the best. So I'd probably in a perfect world, perfect pooping room. I think I'd probably still go with like the New York, some like tile on the ground, some like heated tile when necessary. Uh, I think that's a nice touch. I agree with you. I think a little bit colder, but not too cold because I th- think you can get the opposite problem where you land on the toilet and like you get, you get the, the butt freeze, freezicles. That's not real, but mm. colder, not cold. But not like modern. I don't I don't like like black modern stuff looks great and fine, but I don't think that's what what I'd want in the perfect pooping room. I would I would take my little stool. I'd have my little perfect throne stool. You know, give me a squatty potty, but make it look fancy like I'm a king. A lord ruler, perhaps. <laughs> Style. <laughs> little buttons of ATM. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of have it like a little bit elevated next to next to a couple of sinks a pair of sinks i think my perfect pooping room would also have a spa attached like a, a nice little you'd have like a little sweat room in it for either before yeah, or after absolutely depending so yep i could Amenities go way into important. more detail right if we're talking about like the other things that this bathroom would be including like shower and sauna and stuff like I'm that i'm not gonna go I'm into shower like, I just mentioned sauna because Pooping I think room. sauna is important. See, I agree with you. I just want to mention sauna because I think sauna is specifically important to the act of letting yeah. it go. All right. To right, drop in the deuce, as it were. So I, I would I would go sauna close by. Okay. With that, going down the list of questions, bidet, no bidet, definitely bidet. Under over. We know where I stand on this. It's obviously over. What was the other question that I asked you that was kind of off the cuff? Hands up. Oh, it was the. I did ask hands up. I was thinking the stool. The, the stool is. I'd already mentioned the ATM button stool. And mm-hmm. I. The hand soap would be a mahogany teakwood because that is like the perfect blend of like smoky, like you were saying, but a little bit savory, but it's not too smoky. Like it's. Like you were saying, it's kind of like the savory, woodsy. The other option is like a cool charcoal mint. Okay. Those are the two options for hand soaps. Gotcha. Uh, I would go the first before the second, but fair enough. One question I have floor texture. I think tile, like I was saying, like I I stand by large tile, not small tile. tile. Yep. Glossy or no, no straight tile. Good man. Okay. Yeah. I hate really glossy tile floors. Specifically oh, yeah. because of Mid showers. Is okay. Yes. And like it, it feels like wet and then it cools down. It just feels clammy and gross. It's a lot of metal. Um, we'll see. <laughs> so uh, a either like cement mm-hmm. or like matte tile finish. Oh, cement? Ugh. I don't know. Like a, a not gloss finish. Yes, a non-gloss finish. I can I can agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, for sure. 
Yeah, we went we went off on pooping room, but I think it's important. Great fucking question. question. This is this was our recurring bit for this series. One of the recurring bits. So this was excellent. That was an accident. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how we got there. That's most of our recurring bits. We don't plan this shit, and it it turned into one of my favorites. That we just every time (laughs) I mention the Lord Ruler's place, you turned it into a pooping room joke, and so I was like, "Fuck, I guess we're here." So yeah. All right, moving on. We have a question. We have a lot of questions from Ragnar, so we're going to break these up to kind of segment them a little bit. But the first one here, do you want to read it? Sure. With what you know now, how powerful do you think Vin and Ellen's kids will grow up to be? And we kind of had that prospect last episode, I think. This question actually came in before we hit the end of the book, and this was supposed to be one that I was maybe going to ask you before we got to the end and Evan and Ellen died. So it was supposed to be kind of a tragedy of sorts. But that said, you were how, saying about the, the power. How powerful do you think Vin and Ellen's kids would have been would be the right way to phrase that. I think between Vin and Ellen, they would be more powerful on average than Mistborn, but it wouldn't compound to be more powerful. They would still be losing something in dilution because neither of them are pure, I guess, if that makes sense. There's close like Ellen is the most powerful. Like Ellen is at the top of the hierarchy as far as powerful Mistborn go. He's Mm -hmm. effectively a pure Mistborn Alamancer. Vin is heavily diluted. Um, but still more powerful on average because of her connection to preservation, sort of the intent there and the way that she was guided and given more capabilities earlier. Yeah. I think based on what we know about the genetics of everything, they'd be mistborn. I think I would assume they would be mistborn nine times out of 10. And I think always, ah, no, not always. They would at least be mistborn, but Right. I'm I'm trying to like make the assertion that two Mistborn will create a Mistborn. And you, you would get think that there would more dilution a- by not having two Mistborns, like having one and a and a misting or I, not not Alamancer in, in general. I think I agree with you mostly. I think the problem is is that if that were such a big thing why wouldn't Brandon have made it a bigger deal? You know what I mean? Like he didn't make a big deal of Mistborn marrying Mistborn at all or people with Alamantic capabilities, probably because Ellen didn't have any. So it didn't make sense from a story perspective, but that was never brought into. I agree. I get exactly what you're saying. I'm just saying that it was interesting that that's also not a plot point. I think it should have been because he does such a like wide ranging job of explaining things. And this goes so unexplained that I feel like no matter what, we're kind of left wondering what what it would be, you know? Yeah. There's not a default here. Right. We just know that it dilutes over time, but that dilution is from diluting that gene. But if you both have that gene, to a certain extent, it's not getting diluted. So it, it really it just kind of depends, like, to me, it depends on, like, how much this is strictly about whether or not the the powers exist or how strong the powers are, you know? Yes. Fair point. Great, great point. Yeah. there There is some delineation there that needs to happen. I know you haven't read, how much do you know of Harry Potter, period? Like, if you had to put it on a on a spectrum, one out of ten, 
like one to ten sorry not one out of ten like about the underlying magic system uh, yeah the the capabilities of the users right so like no one uh, people are have inherently different power and that's kind of willy-nilly inside of the harry potter world like it's not as well defined as it is here however my understanding is that it's not defined at all and some people are able to do it and some people aren't and it seems bloodline related for the most but part but occasionally outside of bloodline right so that's like right. the mud blood idea uh, and sort of the racism that happens so, inside so of the, story. the mud blood idea is that a an underlying genetic trait that somewhere up the line they we had? don't have the answer I guess that's that's my problem there. So we don't have the Fucking answers. Soft that fantasy bullshit <laughs> garbage. <laughs> we don't strictly have the answer, I should say. So write your fucking rules, yet. then write the book. <laughs> oh, God. OK, so the point being, we don't necessarily have the answer. I just wanted to draw the the comparison because I think that like the idea that people can randomly pop up with powers, it may be something from a long distant bloodline. It could be any number of things. Only J.K. Rowling knows and she's a piece of shit. So it, I guess I'm not looking to kind of interrogate that. I just wanted to bring it up as a comparison of a different genetic magic system. Right. That's not mm. about capability so much. And, and to say that, like, you can approach some really nasty stuff when you start to think about like genetic magic systems innately promotes like a pure blood thing when you get to this top level which is innately bad because of ethical moralism so tough if you're jumping into a system that there is genetic superiority does that change the definition of that moralism Here's the tough part about the series. The series actually doesn't interrogate that well. The only character that really gets to interrogate it and get, is given kind of enough efficacy to do so over the course of the entire story is Spook, of whom is kind of defined by his lack of abilities for the most part, having the considered like the lowest of the powers, being given a power, seeing that it's not all that it's cracked up to be, and then having it taken away, right? And kind of going mm-hmm. through that arc of more power isn't necessarily better. That's kind of what spook stands to reason not entirely but a little bit kind of until you get to the epilogue and that's what i'm saying (laughs) like the story doesn't back itself up which is again another reason that i think i have a hard time with it and at the same time ellen explores that in the first two books and then again that entire argument disappears when he's revived with the metal stone (laughs) so like the book gets halfway to saying something about genetic magic systems and then every time just pulls it away before we can like really say that like someone without it like there you can be a fantastically impactful human being without this but most of the series relies so much on these magic people that it's like it's so tough to you know make that closest you get insertion yes right and he's kind of he's kind of the piece of shit character though you know he's kind of the shit heel doxton that's the next closest you get yeah he's an oppressed person so i think that that makes sense but he dies before he sees fruition so i i think that those are some of the issues that i have thematically that i i kind of would like to have resolved i don't think that brandon's trying to make a statement about it either i don't think he was thinking about that so i i don't i'm I'm not pinning the blame i'm just saying that we also can't really draw conclusions on this from the text really because it doesn't have a whole lot to say about that yeah I also think that... Which I think is a small flaw, but it's okay. Taking that and extrapolating it into real-world morals falls apart because you're dealing with such intense 
degrees of hyperbole and magnification when it comes to like these more superior traits that you're talking about. And it's almost to the point where you can't even make that that connection and draw that like comparison. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're not approaching like red rising levels of distinction between, you know, and like intentional breeding and things like that that kind of like make itself more of a, you know, I agree with you. I th- I think is kind of the long and short of it. It is it it's it is so hyperbolic to drive it that direction. However, I think it would have been really easy to have made to have had the story make a statement about genetic magic systems. That's what Brandon was going for. Like, and you thematically that's not what this, magic this book's are about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was making a genetic magic system too, actually, and he has non-genetic magic system in the form of hemology. So, like, anyone can and be in given the these form abilities. of allomancy. Well, kinda. <laughs> Like very is, limited. Though. Yes. It, very limited. It perpetuates limited. itself genetically. Yes. But it's not only given to you genetically. You can, you can right. be imbued with this magic without having it innately, which is really, really interesting. Hmm. The source yes, of the magic no. propagates through genetics, but the initial source isn't genetic and isn't inherent. It is an the, external magic source. The entire thing is an external magic source, so that's where it becomes funky. I wasn't necessarily saying no to your your position so much as there is there are further complications that have not been explored yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I do I think that this is a great example of something that continues to kind of go throughout the series. I think this is something that is continually explored. I also think that Brandon came to realize that this was after this book, steered away from it a little bit more. Uh, okay, because it's the accessibility of magic, I think, was something that was a little bit more the idea that and, and this is kind of something that J.K. Rowling is famous for with like the idea of like mudbloods or like people of whom, you know, don't have blood. The idea that anyone could get their letter to Hogwarts, right, is is something that perpetuates in kids heads. So it's like, oh, I could go like I could become a wizard. So I think that's something that brandon kind of steered away from and that's where like we're talking about this and i'm comparing it to a ya novel because this novel sits solidly nebulously between ya and adult fiction like it is very i don't like it's super reasonable like you could totally hand this to a kid like a kid a teenager and they could read it super reasonably and also it's really entertaining for us like that's why we're talking about it on the show because it's there's great. there's so little as far as like explicitly touchy subjects right yeah. is there any explicit language in the book at all dams thrown around okay a couple of times i think that's kind of at the point where i don't even consider that a swear word (laughs) i mean (laughs) truly in my own personal life i wouldn't even think about it that way so yeah but you're right definitely damn let me just hell maybe no shits no fuck lots of hells does cunt Plenty exist? Of dams. I don't definitely not said. <laughs> I didn't need to search that, but I did type it in. So no shits, no fucks, but plenty of dams. No bitch. <laughs> this is all in Hero of Ages, of course, but yeah. So language yeah. is minimal, but we kind of knew that. They they also have placeholder swear words in the form of like Lord Ruler and you know other shit like that. Yeah. I opened up Apollo. Apollo Hero, Hero good. Nice. Really it good. Looks really cool that and by the way that can art reminds me of kcbc here here's the yeah i saw it when you turned it reminds me yeah. of kcbc it looks very much like their can art so here's the mm-hmm. valkyrie nice. kind of yep and oh nice i like, I like that, that. 
Yeah. I I want to go back and say a little bit. Valkyrie Hero. I do really like this beer. I think it's problematic to call it a hazy not problematic, but a deceptive to call it a hazy IPA. Cause it drinks very much like a West Coast. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no worries. No worries. To that point, folks, at this point, we've only been going two and a half hours. I finished all my drinks. And as such, I have opened up a beer. Edward Teach's Last Stand, <laughs> which I bought because <laughs> I was like, this is kind of funny. It's very namesakey. It's a hazy India. I it, It's a hazy IPA. Jesus Christ. It's a mosaic and citra packed beer, whirlpooled, dry hopped fermentation, second dry hop of Strata. So pretty classic. I do also love the can art here with all of the swords going through the heart. It looks very cool and it's very different than their usual can art. So nice. I dig it. It tastes really good. Exactly as you'd expect is kind of the way that I would describe it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So wrapping up that kind of question, that question, how powerful do you think their kids would be? Less. I think my answer is less. I have a hard time saying less. I think that there's a potential for them being less, but I think there's also a potential for them being more powerful than Vin. Oh, fair um, point. Less powerful than Ellen, more powerful than Vin. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would see that degradation. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see a slight degradation, but it'll average like, like genetics. It'll average out between the parents. Right. Yes. Average between. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. We move on to Ivana here. We've got a great question. Do the Colossus have a future in the new world? Hmm. There's one only for you. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think the Colossus that currently exists will will be allowed to exist i guess but i don't think they'll exist for very long and it feels very grossly unethical to like allow those coloss to continue to exist from like a leadership standpoint because you have to take dying but not dead people right like he grabs somebody who's unconscious but not a body yeah right so I don't think that there's a place for that within whatever society it rises from from this, whatever government rises. That'd be a tough one to swallow. Yeah, I think it would be a very hard, hard pill to swallow. It it begs the question. So Sazed, having picked up these powers, can make changes to the world. Do you think he would change the Coloss? Or do you think that he would let them naturally expire? You know? I think he'd let them naturally expire. I think he could potentially explore other creatures that are similar. Mm-hmm. But I think he'd probably do it in, I don't know, maybe in something that's that's not strictly human. Maybe in livestock. Creating beasts of burden within the same like same hemological system. Doing things that can be u- used as tools, but not relying on human fuel so to speak okay see where i'm going with that a little bit uh-huh yeah yeah, yeah. Let, alter, alter the way the colossus are created yeah yeah and and yeah. ultimately the way they're utilized as opposed mm-hmm. to being a an army in a semi-sentient army being like a species of beast of burden or several species Ooh. of beasts okay. of burden yeah imagine yeah. like giant fucking horses <laughs> that right can, yeah can carry entire like quarter the amount of horses you need to pull a pull a carriage and shit like that i think you could be very productive with it 
Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. When I heard Coloss in the very first book, and like two or three times that I think it was mentioned, I was like, that's so mysterious and vague. And I truly thought of the Coloss not as humanoids, but I, how much how much of the X-Men do you know? Not a ton. Okay. What's a in ton? the, what's in the movies? Okay. So the Sentinels, which are like the really big robot dudes that yep. are like a couple of stories tall. I imagine the Coloss like that big. Like I imagine them huge, larger than ogres, like full, like giants, truly like 20, giants. 30 feet tall. Yeah, exactly. When when I heard about them and I was like, whoa, and I just imagined them as much bigger. And so it's interesting when you finally approach them and they are smaller. They get up to, I think, 12 feet tall, which is still crazy. Yeah, it's a story tall. 12 and that's like abnormally yeah. tall even for them. Right, right. And the Sentinels, I think, get about two stories tall. So 15 or 30 ish feet or 20, between 20 and 30 feet. But yeah, that was kind of my my comparison point. That was where my brain went immediately. I imagine them being fewer but massive. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm trying to look up X Men height because <laughs> I'm just curious as to how tall they actually are. It's, that's not what I'm looking for. How tall? Okay, tw- yeah, twenty to twenty five is the average height of the Sentinel. So you know, a couple of bodies taller, a couple of colos taller. So they're still big by all means. And I'm, I'm not trying to shirk anything. It was just where my brain went with the first picture. And so I can easily imagine something that large being a beast of burden, you know, like like an ogre, like a troll is kind of utilized in Lord of the Rings by the armies of Morgoth and whatnot. So mm-hmm. cool. Another one from Ivana. Will everyone be an Elamancer in the next generations, in the future generations? Will they share powers? Could everyone be a fair chemist? I'm just adding a couple of things here to kind of pause it. What are your thoughts on the future generations and their relationship to the metallic arts? I mean, we, we know for sure that it's a genetic system. Mm-hmm. And we don't know of any like misborn, misborn relationships that have yielded children. And Alamancers are pretty fucking rare so no i don't think everyone will be i think it'll be a lot more prevalent because they'll understand how to snap people in a more reasonable way Mm -hmm. as opposed to beating them everyone will be exposed to the mists at a certain age when they're at the height of their strength i suppose if the mists still exist actually that's a good question because they got cleared out so if they come back Hmm. no i don't think everyone will be I think it'll be a little bit more prevalent, but I think it, overall the the genetics of the people aren't changing unless Sazed decides to change them. I don't quite see a reason why he would. I want to add a question here that comes in later from Ragnar because I think it ties in. Do you think Sazed will turn into like a misting clause going around making a bunch of mistborns? Do you think he'll make a bunch of mistings? Kind of to this point, I think it kind of extends the question in a direction he did change spook of course do you think that he would make any other genetic changes being that he's the guy in charge he can change and control things you know if i think about gets to remake the world character, in his image this feels like a very his boring image, answer and i don't think it's the mm-hmm. case because there's more books in this like there's an era two to mistborn which i would assume follows a similar storyline on the same planet just by assumption. I don't know that mm. for sure, but I think so. A similar storyline, meaning the conflict of the powers. 
I mean, a story about Alamancy and Farrakhan. Oh, sure. Okay. Yep. Yep. But if I'm looking at Sazed as a character, and if he has the ability to do stuff genetically, I think he would just eliminate Alamancy, Farrakhan, Hemalurgy entirely because it's been problematic from a like power standpoint. I think he'd remove the magic system from the people entirely. That interesting. That would also mean inherently he would be pulling out the chunks of preservation of these people, right? So like removing the magic system also involves removing the inherent nature of the creation of these folks, right? And like the sentience that they're given and things like that. Right. So I don't, I, I understand where you were going with that. I think that that is a possibility. However, considering some of the rules, I think that Seiza would probably avoid that because he yeah. likes life. But then then I could see it happening, putting everybody on a level ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, that would require everyone to become Mistborn. Because in like fucking bronze user, like <laughs> you're effectively yeah. not a misting on your own. I mean, you're a seeker, right? As a bronze user. Yeah. You're, or you're copper. thinking copper. 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 I'm yeah. thinking copper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're countered by hemolurgy, like a tin hemolurgist. Like, that's so shitty. <laughs> you're, you're literally countered so easily. My point stands, though, that I think Sazed will do what he can to put people on a more level ground. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't trying to dissuade you from that point. I think that that's solid. Based on our understanding of the magic system and how it's developed and perpetuated genetically... Mm-hmm. I think that becomes a very difficult thing to do in a very really like balanced way. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I don't think everyone will be, but maybe it'll be more prevalent strictly because now we understand that it's not just noble people that can be snapped. Right. It's anyone. It's just that we didn't, you know, the Scott didn't go out or they didn't recognize it. They never ingested metal. And so they never, you know, tested it. So, yep. Okay. All right. I dig that. Dig that. Thanks, Ivana, for those questions, and thank you to Ragnar for supplementing that. So, to get into one that's a little bit spoilery for Elantris again, we're going to do this, probably a five-minute conversation again, skip forward if you need to, from Ragnar. Do you think there's any relation of the pool that was in the center of Elantris to the well that held Ruin and the Mistborn Seeds, or whatever they're actually called? I would throw in the Pits of Hathson into this question as well. You'd throw in the pits of Hassan. I mean, yeah. The pits and the well are directly compared. That's not a that's not understandable. A yeah. I mean, I, I think it's very clear to me from reading Elantris that the pool is directly related to the well. Because it's it's described the same. And now we have a character that was there and is now here. Presumably going through that pool and into the well. Like oh, coming out of the well. By character, who do you mean? Can you specify? Hoyt? Hoyd? Hoyd. Yep. Okay. Yep. And that's why I'm confused by your assertion that the well of ascent or that the pits of Hass would have a similar connection. I really mean it more as an aggregation set of power, I think was more my assertion. Okay. Less that it's like immediately comparable. Because you made the comment that you thought that like there was going to be a well at the bottom of the pits, right? The same kind of idea. I, I, I think that it's close, yeah. but it's more like it's not really a well. 
but it's clearly something that preservation was like, I'm going to bury your body here. And then it started to like sprout in weird ways. Yeah. It, it was the, the leak point or whatever. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think it's cleverly intentional that the power is always referred to as being in the well of ascension as opposed to the well being the power, like making that distinction a little bit, because I, I think it's, it's not, it's soul function. I think this is a big part of it. Like yeah. The, the power of pres- preservation resides within the well of ascension. Right. Well, and the mists, like it's divided between the two and then also people. So, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah, to your point, right. It is sort of a center point. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. Mistborn seeds, the nuggets, textually, the nuggets. nuggets. Mm-hmm. Yep. By our standards, the nuggies. I'm just imagining like a Stegosaurus dino nuggie, you know? I know it's described as round, but I'm totally just like sitting in that crown or that, that disc, that clay disc there in the center. There's just a little dinosaur and she plucked the little dinosaur out because she didn't know what it is. So she couldn't describe it as a dinosaur. It was just a little shape. She grabbed it and she put it in his mouth and he chewed it and he was a misborn. Mm-hmm. That's how it happened. That's how it could have happened any other way. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think there's a relation there. I don't know what. Cool. No, I I mean I I I like what you were kind of pointing to. It's one of those things where it's like, we'll see. I'm very excited to be reading further in this with you. I am so I know we're both on complete blackouts as far as these Cosmere novels go, which also scares me for if they could spoil anything for any other books. <laughs> And it's not like they've been released yet or anything, but there's like there's an internal thing. And I think that Sanderson has said that everything except for the fourth book, you're good to go without reading anything else. He said even the fourth book, you're pretty good without reading anything else. The fourth book touches into Stormlight, apparently. So, okay, I don't know. I don't know. My point is, is that I'm, a, I'm, I'm like just the smingest, tingest, little tiny bit. Like, could it, could any of these touch on anything? That, and there's no way to know. There's no way to know until we read it. And it's going to be fresh. It'll be fun. It'll be interesting. But it's a great example of like, there's still so many questions about some of these things that are kind of lingering out there. Pools are a great one. I do want to move to a different set of questions. Then we'll come back to Ragnar's here from one of the many people on Twitter of whom submitted questions for PJ. What reveal struck you as the most surprising or unexpected from Zypris? Thank you so much, Zypris, for sending in all these questions and being such a great listener for sending us in stuff every week and interacting with us. We love you dearly. Thank you. The most surprising or unexpected. God damn it. There are some good ones. Mm-hmm. I think the, the mother sister tie in to this whole thing is the biggest thing that caught me off guard. The fact that Vin's mother and sister were, were integral to this from the very beginning. That was one that got me too. like that because it's one that's so early and you're just like, you learn about the trauma of like Reen and the daughter dying and the earring being this last gift. And you're just like, Whoa. And you just log that in the back of your brain and you don't really think about it <laughs> for a very long time. It's it's brought up a couple of times, but it's never it's it is the most subtle of the kind of through threads. So, right. Yeah, I love that one. 
I love that one. I I think I would agree with you. I think I'd agree. I think that's probably the most that was one of the most surprising things to me was was that reveal that that's where the tin came from. Her tin ability came from that enhanced her was that hemorrhagic spike plus the fact that it was from her sister who was a misting. It is kind of it's a bit it it still has a lot of impact, but it is a little bit kind of it's not given its time in the sun because it's made a big deal because of the logbook. I, I feel like that kind of doesn't highlight it quite enough, if that makes sense, as much as I would like. Yeah. Uh, exposition through the logbook in this book kind of undersells that. But I, I, I still think it's a big surprising reveal and it's still very good. But it was just like, you know, I don't know if there would have been some way for Vin to circle back on it. It would have been better as opposed to the logbook. And these are challenges that I see the third book having when it gets adapted like i'm most concerned about this book being adapted because so much of it is obvious so much of the plot is really well done and things like that but a lot of the connecting threads are done through this logbook and how the fuck do you do any of these logbooks in a tv show narrator i guess yeah but you know how much people like narrators almost not at all like genuinely there was a statistic, I think, that came out. And some people released it a couple of years ago. Someone took all of the movies that start with narration and have a persistent narrator over, them, over the movies. They performed on Rotten Tomatoes, on average, 30% less than peers in the same category, genre category, just because of the narration. And the director's cuts that removed the over-the-top over narration and instead focused on the story did, on average, 20% better, which is just fucking absurd we don't like to be narrated to when we're watching our shit is kind of the answer there not that it can't be well done there are examples of it being well done but that was kind of the gist you know like fight club is the one that breaks the example but more often than not the narration that you're getting is immediate on the scene like it's immediate i guess i'm looking at it less about a narrator that is telling you the story overall I'm looking at it more like the way that the Fellowship of the Ring opens with a narrator. So having a couple a couple interjections like that. That's okay. Yeah, I, I don't that's think that's what they were talking about. They I were talking about that, like interspersing throughout the entire thing, like having narrator beats basically through a story. I know, I know. I, I yeah. agree. But doing it this way, like that sort of style of narration. Mm-hmm. As sort of interludes between parts, like at the beginning of every episode, even in a TV show, I think would be the way to do this logbook and impart information on the on the watcher, on the viewer, much like it's it's dropped on us here. Because so much of this story is reliant on understanding that logbook without no like it is it is intrinsically tied to this story. Reliant, I think, is the most important part. This this story is reliant upon the logbook, the mm-hmm. logbooks even. But yeah, I so, I'm the most concerned about that. I think everything else can make a lot of sense outside of maybe explaining the elementic metals themselves without going like POV. I. I'm a little bit concerned that that's like the easy way to wash it out. If that makes sense to like go to an adaptation and be like, how do I explain the metal lines that are drawn out of her chest? Oh, I go POV and I see the metal lines and I see her pull out as burning metals feel like there, there's a lot of like small things that need to be addressed. What's crazy be- is 
Yeah. What's crazy is Ferrochemy naturally fits adaptation. It's it's very easy comparatively. Allomancy is a lot tougher, as we I think mentioned an episode or two ago, where it's like you can't really read the rate at which someone is burning a metal in their stomach from what they're doing. Mm. You know, it just yeah. seems like superpower go. Not yeah, if you're filming it. So right. There, there are concerns. I think they'll handle them. I'm not worried about it, but it is, you know, if there were concerns, those are them. All right. A good one here from our friend Lindsay, of whom was our guest on the first episode. Friend, patriot of the podcast a couple of different times in short pours and doing doing great. It took the bar exam the other day. Hope, I mean, not hopefully going to pass, but like, I assume she did a She'll great pass. job. I'm confident in her capabilities so it's it i don't want to say it's like too late to say like good uh, just send Lindsay good work good job that's hard good she vibes. has a great question for you pj yeah good vibes to Lindsay always she's also moving across the country so the same time you know all of those yeah. all of those props necessary so Lindsay's question for you is dear pj which elementic ability best suits being ungodly tall and which would be a pain in the ass um Hmm. All of me says pewter for the first yep. one. Absolutely. Yep. Like straight up pewter for the first one. Yep. No questions asked. My back sucks. Hit my back. Pewter would just fix that. <laughs> yeah. Which one would suck though? I don't know if there's any that would be a problem. Truly. So, hmm. I think... I think both iron and steel would be more problematic for you than most people because you're outsized versus what you're pulling against. And so like you're I think steel and iron work better when you're smaller because you have more flexibility of like range of motion and things like that. If you're You've trying to less move, flexibility, if you're, if you're trying to fly with it, but I could. Yeah, I could move bigger things. I guess my point is. In total, I think that it's worse. You could move bigger things. That's kind of not what I was. Yes, very true. You could move bigger things because you've got the counterweight. My point was more like the gangliness flying towards something. Yeah, is worse because you've got more accessible limbs to break off. I don't know. (laughs) That's true. I think the, the net is positive, though. Still, like none of it would be a pain in the ass as it's asked. I think there are quirks, and I think I'd be less poised to fly. So which is the quirkiest? Yeah, I guess that's your follow-up. Like, you know, pain in the ass is like, what's the worst? Tin. Why? Because I need a why here. I'll hear all the people far below me <laughs> talking about talking shit about the tall dude <laughs> that they're looking up at. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Cursed Fine. with hearing. Cursed <laughs> with the ability to hear people. No, oh, I, think, man. I think you're right. The steel and iron would would be a lot more complicated in usage. Cumbersome, at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not from the hand, it's from the center of gravity. Yeah. Yeah, you can't superhero magneto hand to it. You gotta... Yeah. Superhero magneto gut to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man there's there's a a moment in sandman the show that is ripped directly from the comics where he's like pulled into a cosmic vortex 
and it's very much like pulled by the gut and i just i couldn't when you said that i couldn't help but giggle and imagine the same thing but towards a metal object being like i'm going towards this candelabra (laughs) gut first um (laughs) so very very silly images um reminds me of silly walk cool going back we have a Ragnar question here. Now that the Lord Ruler is out of the picture, how do you think technology will advance? For instance, will having something like guns make sense since there are coin shots who can make a coin to kill you just as well as a gun with a bullet? Make a coin kill you just as well. Sorry. Sorry, Ragnar. A little bit. I drank a little bit. I think there will still be a use for guns, especially considering like not everyone's going to be a coin shot. You have to have defenses against coin shots and like an answer to them. Really, it, it'll be a source of inspiration and a source of innovation by trying to create technology that normal people can use that are inherent within mistings. So I, I think it'll it'll rapidly accelerate the um, technology side of things by allowing people to innovate in such a way. That said, we didn't get an answer on this. Why the fuck are there railroad spikes? On the com- on the front cover of Hero of Ages. So those are just spikes. It's not necessarily that they're railroad spikes entirely, but they're they look that way. They are so clearly railroad spikes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think that the answer that you're looking for is that spikes are spikes to a certain extent. They remind me as much of railroad spikes as they do like crucifixion spikes as classically depicted and forged Mm, not square things are easier to forge than circle things right yeah true but like these i don't have my book with me right now this is so obviously it's bigger than a square nail like it's i don't know i'll leave it at that I, I it, it is supposed to be a spike like it's so like each each book depicts kind of like a, a central thing. The central thing of this book is hemalurgy for the most part, like hemalurgy dominates this book as far as exposition goes, because it's got more rules. So but also yeah. we know the spikes be round the eye spikes around and yeah. the chest spike in Zane. Yeah. And those are the only one that ones that are depicted in shape. Really, yeah, given given shape. I, I I really think it's more in choice than anything else. I don't think it's anything crazy. So, fair enough. Yeah, I was just hoping for like Elland found that he couldn't quite use the the uh, horseshoes, but railroad like these spikes, these railroad spikes had better purchase. It was easier mm-hmm. to use to fly like that. Man, it would have been so cool if we would have gotten a lot of, like, Ellen character development over the course of this book. Would have been so neat. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I would have... It's pretty true. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> I would have enjoyed that. All right. Would have been, a, would have been cool. <sighs> Gripe. Speaking of, I want to move to a different question. We'll kind of flip back and forth here until we get to the end. From Zypris again. Which character had the best character art throughout the series, in your opinion? Who's your favorite? Says it. Hands down, says it. I think, honestly, Spook is second. Okay. If we're looking just start to finish, Ellend, but we'd get so little of it. And Vins is up there, but ultimately, like, it plateaus so early. Very true. Yeah. So, 
those are my top four. I personally like really appreciate Kelsier's character development because he dies and then degrades actually over the course of the rest of the story. <laughs> I, in a genuine way, I think that's actually really important to recognize from a character perspective is that Kelsier is less useful to them outside of being a bad example of what to do more often than not. Like he is, he's an inspiration in some ways, but in a lot of ways he's not. But he's also the motivation for their entire army. Yes. They don't have an he, army without him. Yeah. And that's silly a little bit. Like, are you are you saying in Mistborn they don't have an army without him? No, no, no. I'm saying, like, a lot of their army in Hero of Ages is, like, centered around the idea of the Church of the Survivor. It's not entirely. Yeah. Right. But... But that's kind of a false, you know, it's, it's kind of a, there'd be, there'd be a void. That void would be filled by something. Right. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm also not even trying to point it that direction. It's kind of like a false religion to begin with. Right. And the entire idea of it, like people that doesn't can matter. That's Kelsier though. Right. That's Kelsier's influence. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's false. I just, am I very core yeah you're you're right you're right it doesn't matter personally my very core it matters that it's false like it matters <laughs> that it's wrong and you're to you're not wrong we don't know that for sure though because we what, have this ambiguous ending that references Sazed talking to kelsier and interacting with him in this cosmic plane saying that this was a this was a request from kelsier to give spook mistborn abilities it's ambiguously left but its potential is that kelsier is alive cosmically and influencing the world do the people really have evidence of that though does that matter i i think it does especially when so much nothing matters as far as religion goes well, what what I'm saying is, is that so many of these religions rely and and says is impressions of religions matter based on factual realities. So like that, that's the part that's tough to parse, right? Like I'm I'm not saying that I'm not trying to just posit this and say that like they're all wrong because from a meta perspective, it's okay. We know that they're wrong. Like we don't we don't need to think any further on it we know that the hero of ages is correct we know the terrorist faith was the correct faith we, we like have answers that we can like stare at and look at but the the reason that i get into the kelsier thing here is because i do think that the hero worship that is given over to kelsier he's meant to not be especially in the way that well of ascension paints him he is not meant to be the idol just because he held power just because he was power just because he was a mistborn we're going to respect him and what he was doing he was doing the right thing for once like that's that's where we're going to hold up and that's okay that in the end people took that and ran it and turned it into something bigger they turned it into something that was bigger than what kelsier was but my point kind of at the core is that like kelsier wasn't innate like as vin knew him that wasn't what kelsier was aiming for true that wasn't kelsier's kelsier as a person is worse than he is as a martyr he's great as a martyr he's fine as a as a person i i'm with you but i think it's unfair to divorce those from each other and it's all still his influence 
Regardless of if it's true to his character as a living being, it's still his influence. And uh-huh. it's still his story arc. He bumblefucked his way into it, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. That's fair. We do have... There are lingering questions about Kelsier in general here on the outset, and it seems as though, you know, there's questions about the afterlife, period, you know? So, we'll see mm-hmm. what that amounts to in the future, maybe. Sounds good. If it's there, if it's really Kelsier, if it was a wish that says it logged from Kelsier, right. from interactions, so... That's my that's my gut instinct is that it was some conversation that he had had with Kelsier before he died talking about spook and this was his his wish his mm-hmm. request Yeah request makes it, it request makes it a little bit harder to make ambiguous though you know Sure So anyway that language does kind of specify it a little bit more Yeah mm-hmm. okay going back here to Ragnar, do you think Kelsier would have been able to get a foothold on Marsh's consciousness at all should they square off? Or do you think he was completely lost with ruin in control? Do you think Kelsier could have had an impact on what was going on with Marsh? Like if Kelsier was alive? Yeah. At the end? Yes. Maybe to an extent a little bit farther than what Vin was able to do, but we saw the progression of ruin's control and there was this little tiny sliver of marsh that was able to peek through. And that's so heavily determined by emotion, my understanding at least. So interacting with Kelsier, I feel like that emotion would be even stronger because the emotion about Vin was regarding Kelsier, seeing her as a daughter, essentially. And like the, the interactions that they had had, it was all based on Kelsier's like, influence on vin yeah so kelsier being there that emotion would have been heightened a little bit more so marsh's control would have been a little bit stronger over himself okay but i don't think it would have been that much it'd be like two percent to like two and a half percent if we like that sort of scale yeah i i understand i hmm i don't know i don't think so I, I can understand your scale proposition. I think that he was just so severely limited, and I think the idea that he had lost all these people actually fueled him more to fight for Vin. So I think if Kelsier would have lived, it would have been a little bit of the opposite because he would have believed that there would have been other tools to get them to where they need to be. I feel like Marsh's yeah. act is out of desperation because it's the last thing that he can do to... So I, I feel like, I, as so opposed that, to 2.5, I would go down to like 1.75 because he'd believe in his brother. I guess I'm operating under the assumption that the entire story is the same and then Kelsier just shows up right at the end. Everybody sure, had yeah. assume, like, But... Kelsier surviving and everybody knowing it that changes the prospects of the entire story and I, it, that's hard it to does yeah it's, it's to hard parse. to what if that into the entire thing yeah right right to to the idea that Kelsier is still alive at this point is very difficult to parse right so yeah yeah and it would be like a little bit unfair to a lot of the character arcs and things like that like it would undermine <laughs> some stuff. entirely yeah it would be really kind of cheap. So with that, we have one more question from Ragnar here. Do you think the Lord Ruler could have defeated Ruin 
if Kelsier hadn't intervened, if the Lord Ruler would have had time to wait for the well to completely replenish itself, do you think that would have happened? No. This is kind of the would Kelsier fucked it up? Like, did Kelsier fuck it up? Question. No, I, I think agree. the entire point was to continue keeping him at bay, keeping him trapped. Do you think the Lord? Do you think the Lord Ruler wouldn't have picked up the power and like tried to go after Ruin? No, I think he would have picked up the power and fixed some of his mistakes from before. I think he would have made the the planet a little bit more inhabitable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what he would have focused on. He would have kept Ruin at bay because inherently, I don't think it's possible to just destroy Ruin by picking up the power. That was kind of the whole point. Yeah, he would have had to pick up, as we as we understand it, my our assumption is is that he would have had to actually hold the power of preservation not just the well power but the the full breadth of power that was available to vin that the previous holder of preservation had left when they died would have had to hold that and then self-annihilate as vin but did. he'd have so, to let ruin out in order to self-annihilate against him to push against ruin and they have to be at equal footing I think that you can only annihilate yourself with a ruin if you're both at the same strength. I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just trying to think if there's there's so many complicated thoughts that I can't explain yet. Sure. But I I don't think the Lord Ruler could have annihilated ruin with the power at the well alone. Because a lot of the power of the well itself was in containing ruin. So that's, I think... To me, the most important metric of that is that giving up the power means that you're also not reinforcing the power of the well. So, yeah. Yeah. Which I think, I think it's a lot more complicated to- than killing ruin. I think I think this has yeah. a lot more to it than that. Right. I, I guess like if, if we're trying to quantify the argument, I would I would say that like picking up the well's power is equivalent to 40 percent of the total power ruin entrapped has 50 percent of his power being that preservation gave 10 percent to humanity so that means the mists are worth 50 percent you've got 10 percent in humanity and you've got 40 percent over here in the well the 40 percent can never annihilate the 50 percent of ruin so you're trapped in the cycle of just keeping him entrapped because about 10 percent of ruin still leaks through to influence the world and like he's got tendrils and things so yeah you know yeah that seems to be the way the equation works in my brain that makes sense and then 50 yeah. percent is in atm right exactly yeah 50 percent in atm 50 percent the mists and then 10 percent humanity gives you that kind of dichotomous split between the and groups. that gives a 50 50 split between ruin after she died like after she mm-hmm. goes out of her human form right and and ruin like yeah that equation right. works pretty well that's that's my thought yeah. or at the very least like she can force herself against she doesn't take all of the preservation from humanity but she's just got the littlest nudge above 50 percent, and so she can annihilate yeah i'm with cool. you yeah so all told no i think the answer here to the lord ruler being able to intervene is now yeah mm-hmm. it would have been continuing the cycle more or less but improving things i think the lord ruler would have tried to improve things for people that would have been his goal make it more yeah. make make humanity better you know kind of try to stretch those things okay from zypris you want to read this one one for cross 
out out of all of PJ's predictions, which one was the one that you were most su- surprised that I got right? That's tough because there were there were a couple that like genuinely shocked me and put me on my ass in the moment because we're on camera again. We've been doing this entire series on camera versus we previously didn't. And so there were a couple of different times that I was just absolutely shocked at your predictions think some of the biggest ones came from some of the positing i think specifically it was around you guessed a lot of things that were going to happen in hero early in well but you were like just a degree or two off and like all of me was like you're just so fucking close on all of this stuff and you were just like missing one little min- minutia that would have pushed you over the edge. Hemallergy. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, hemallergy, hemallergy in general. I think would have right. helped a lot of that. I feel like I was a lot more off the mark in this series than I was in Red Rising. I That's a tough thing to compare uh, just from like a series to series perspective because Red Rising leans more on character development to lead plot, right? And so you can kind of mentally project where a character is going to go, as opposed to here is a new science that you have to work out. Can you work out the new science on your own? No, you can't. You need details to like figure out and piece things out. Like you need you need details, and then once you get the details, you can start to piece things together. So I, I think that's the tough part that I have comparing is that it's just they're strictly different styles of approaching writing, and so the predictions are different. Like your predictability in something is very different. To not put too fine of a point on it, Do you have that an answer? character in book five, after you know, in the middle of the book, shows up. Like, you couldn't have necessarily predicted that, right? Like, right. but the character growth of, like, watching all the other characters go along are more predictable. I, I, I have a tough time comparing the two in that way. And even in the way that we write predictions for them is different. Yeah. Or the way that we wrote or structured them. Yeah. So, yeah. I just I um, wanted to make sure that there wasn't a stark, like, I wanted to make sure there was a stark, like, cut point. Yes remove this so i I guess the core point being i was most shocked at some of the things that pj guessed about i think or sore actually i think you were very on to or sore ten soon without knowing that you were on if that makes sense especially in the well of ascension i think that you were more keen on something being wrong and it not being inside of the party earlier and you you were At the very beginning, you leaned heavily on the idea that could a chondra imitate a chondra? And that was the one that I went, I just like cold stone face. And I was like, has anyone said that? Have have they said that before? Like, could that be a thing? That hasn't been defined. And you were like, no. And I was like, no, it hasn't. (laughs) I just had to like roll forward. I think that's the one that got me. I think that's one of the ones that that stuck with me. My friend Stephanie. Some of the well stuff got me too but my friend stephanie in when she was reading it she was texting me like while she was reading and her first her first comment about well of ascension that she sent sent me was like i think Orsuer is the is the uh, is the mole essentially mm-hmm. i can't remember the exact wording she used but i'm like I'm not going to respond to this. I'm just going to let her continue to send messages and then I'll respond to some of them selectively <laughs> I don't I don't have the tact that you do. 
that you've it's tough gained. man it it gets it gets hard the most fun incorrect prediction though was about zane being reen that was my favorite one to lean in with for you was like the weirdest could he, thing could it work if you really boil it down it's kind it of true wait what no they're because not because is or zane is so heavily influenced and is essentially oh, sure. ruined yeah and so is reen so i of the reread <laughs> moments, I think one of the things that I appreciate the most on reread is how much Zane is fighting against the influence of Ruin. That's not apparent on the front end. It's not apparent when you're reading it. You read him as emo sad boy, which, yeah. you know, we, we talked with with Foxy Reader for a long time. And it's like in rereads, you're like, oh, he is not only a broken person, but he is also being directly pounded down consistently by this force that is telling him to kill other people and this super magical force is kind of pushing on his emotions constantly like oh god it, it makes it make it sense humanizes that him he, in a he make it makes oh, him for sure one of the most complex characters in the series the fact that he's constantly telling straff that he's going to kill him mm-hmm. and then is still trying to do it that seems like such at odds with each other, and it is, but it's essentially Reen peeking out, or not Reen, fucking Zane peeking out and like trying to warn his father that Ruin's trying to get him to kill him. Yeah. It's, it makes uh, it make so much more sense, and it's mm-hmm. so much more heartbreaking. Yeah. He's Zane less is, crazy. He's less inconsistent. He's more consistent understanding that. Yeah, he's, he's still broken fundamentally as a person, no doubt, yep. and dysregulated, and there are definitely issues. However, he is not nearly as like textually awful as the text gives him in the first pass, right. which is something that I was having. A, I'm glad that you latched into like what I was trying to say at the time with like kind of the deep trauma and things like that, because I was very afraid that you're going to be like, no, he doesn't have any issues. And I'm like, no, he's so deeply flawed and like he can't fucking help a lot of this stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you you definitely agreed with me on the God side of things, which I was just so glad that you latched into that idea. And it, it worked out, I think, in the long run for for payoff for him yeah so i think yeah do we have one more we have two more two uh more? so we have marcus here oh to, okay take this one off you can you can read this one actually i'll read it to you this is i know what they are so i'm not gonna reading reading it off to me doesn't make any sense so from marcus of whom is a patron sent it into us on twitter we love you marcus thank you so much for following the show and give us the time of day and the time to listen to us Marcus asks, what do you think the missing metals are? And do you think they'll show up in era two books? I would also add what powers could be out there. So we're missing two or we're missing four. Yes, we're missing four. We're missing four. But one. Well, one is the nugget that grants Mistborn ship. I think the inverse of that removes Alamantic ability. Entirely. So we've got the nuggies and the anti-nuggies. Let's see. So let, let's look at the... Hold, please. Do you have your book? Yeah. Go to the Ars Arcanum. So we're missing two. Yeah. Replacing ATM and Mal-ATM, right? Yeah. Oh, I feel like there's a lot in here that I shouldn't know. No, PJ, you're welcome to fucking read them. <laughs> I did tell you that at the end of each book. No, but... This does. This isn't answered textually. 
This is text. This isn't this. I disagree. This is, I feel like I'm being like. This is in world text. In world. Uh, okay. This is no. Truly, it's in world text written by a person, just like it was at the end of Elantris. Interesting. Okay. Then I'm matter more of okay fact, with it. it's the same person. Mm. Okay. So ATM and Malatium are outside of. So let's see. Got iron and steel. Computer. So, what are the ones that we're missing? Like, where do they live on the circle? So, it, it would be replacing Mal ATM and ATM. I, no, I know. I'm trying to look at the at the signals. So bottom right, top of the bottom right, if I remember correctly. So, I was just looking at it. I'm just pulling these out to remove the little sticky marks for chapters. So, it's yeah the the outside of the bottom right quart, quadrant. Yes, that sounds um, right. So that is in conjunction with Electrum and Gold, which are see your, see your own past and see your own future. See someone else's past and see someone else's future, I guess, would be the one that would fit there. But yeah. So your assumption is, what, one more time for the tape? See someone else's past and see someone else's future. Okay. Can't you, doesn't gold already show you someone else's past? No, it shows you your own. What? Oh, Mal ATM shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're assuming that they basically fit in right on top of so ATM I'm and Mal ATM? Yep. <laughs> Do you think that's likely? Yep. <laughs> y- y'all should, I wish you could see the face that PJ was making because. I don't think PJ is so convinced by his own prediction. <laughs> he just doesn't have a better one to levy. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I want to go off okay. the deep end, but I can't. Like You can. I, absolutely. I would need some time to really study this and like put yeah. together an answer. It's fair. Because I think I yeah. could I think I could figure it out. I've from cross referencing things. I did. I did tell you that you could read these after, not before we were done with them, but you could read them after. Even reading them didn't. now, it feels like cheating. It kind of is. Yeah, it kind All of right. feels like cheating. Yes, it is exposition without anything attached to it. Okay. Yeah. So I I understand. I understand your feeling and your because it's not it, those were up until the moment that you flip it open those were blanks and you didn't know now you flipped it open now it's like oh you know so yeah but it's textual so that's the other tough part it's like what do you what do you take as text when you ignore I recently got an advanced reader copy of a book that had in the front of the book it had a cast list and it was clearly a joke cast list which is hysterical to me. It was a bunch of little dogs and it described these dogs <laughs> and the dogs have nothing to do with the story very clearly, but they were all That's of these hilarious. different people's dogs that they brought to the park. And it was described in the cast list. It's like <laughs> this person's dog. It has a red nose. <laughs> it's just very silly. And I lost That's it. Really- very, very, very funny. Very clever. Okay. We've got one final question left here. And I think it's a good, unless of course you have any, we can, we can always end with one of those or you know whatever else so from ziva patron instagram follower the wind punter as it were what is your favorite relationship dynamic of the series and why i think it's 
I think it's spook. You're gonna take mine. And Vin. Okay. All right. They're gonna take mine. Hmm. I mean, I I, so I could go off in, uh, several different directions with Spook, and maybe it's maybe it's more apt to say Spook and Kelsier. But Spook and Vin sparks this unquenchable thirst for relevance within Spook that drives him to become the person that he is, and it's heartbreaking and mostly negative. Mm-hmm. It it works out in the end for us. But for the most part, he he feels terrible about his inadequacy throughout this entire story. And in prime, I wouldn't say primarily, but in a very significant way, it's driven by his rejection by Vin early on in that first book. I think that's great. I think that's a great one to pick out. I think that that is a guiding thing for Spook th- throughout every other moment and i think that that follows a great arc for him especially as it culminates into the end like i love when he shows back up and he becomes an important question when they're fleeing luthadel in the well of ascension because that's when it like kind of that insecurity flexes again it's even more prevalent prevalent in the hero of ages when he gets his time to shine so i love that Mm -hmm. i think it's a great answer what's yours i think my first pick I think is especially in all these rereads, I've grown to really appreciate clubs and spooks relationship. That's, that's mine. I I think that there is truly a lot of deep caring there and obvious, like we only get there. It's so limited. It's so stringent. It's I'm like, I'm tying knots together with us here to get us to this point right like there's there's so little to tie the structure together but from the beginning when he like advocates for spook to be a part because he's he's around and he's also a tin eye and then he he fights for him continually and then spook being so distraught over the loss of clubs and well of ascension and then getting the flashback when spook is under all that pressure and feeling like he's dying in the hero of ages to his memory of of clubs and saving him i think those are some of the most impactful moments for me from a relationship perspective because it's it is in a big way clubs is not his father or his dad but he is i think the best father figure that spook ever had and i think the book maybe wants to point towards kelsier being that for spook and i firmly disagree with that tendency to lean that direction i think he spook should have spent a lot more internal time idolizing clubs and like looking to clubs for advice and like the voice in his head should have been clubs. We can understand why it was Kelsier. Kelsier is the emotional manipulation aspect. And that makes sense because he's, you know, his own godhood figure or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have been more impactful to see clubs be that idol in the back of Spook's head. I agree. Because he's the one who actually stands up for him in the beginning. He's the one who saves his life. At the beginning yeah. of his life. And Kelsier also stands up for him. I don't want to underplay that. Kelsier is a close second place on that timeline of supporting Spook. Not a close second place in relationships for me. But yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, it's clubs. Clubs and Spook. If I had to try to pick anything else, say it in Tindwell, just in general, it's tough to not pick that. Yeah. Because it's emotionally devastating. And the entire thing drags throughout the Hero of Ages. And that's like our, our reins to go through the story in a big way. 
All right. That brings us to the end of the questions. PJ, do you have anything else that you want to talk about? Anything else you want to mention? Anything else that's on your brain? The series? I've just been having a joy of a time going through this and puzzling things out and, and really like digging into this magic system that so effectively reveals itself through this story. So I appreciate you for introducing it to me. I hope people have enjoyed my naive musings throughout the whole, the whole time. <laughs> and I'm excited to talk to some, some real Brandon Sanderson scholars in a couple days. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also very excited. We are going to be having on a couple of folks from Span Reads, the show on Shardcast that's been doing a recover of the Mistborn series leading up to the new release of the lost metal which is also what we're reading up to so it timed out perfectly that we'd have them at the end of era one so we're going to chat with a couple of the people over there depends on scheduling we've got we've got like a group of people as many as can make it is kind of the the game plan so yeah very very exciting and stoked for that episode you can check it out next week so that'll be a full era one wrap up we touched on a lot of things from the full era here i mean we we did wrap up the book we wrapped up the predictions so i feel good I am very excited to go into era two. How do you feel about going into era two? What are any, I have no idea what to think, <laughs> man. Okay. Like I, I recognize based on the name that it's going to be maybe a time jump. Sure. I don't know how long of one. I don't know what's going to change. Yeah. I'm assuming we won't know any characters other than maybe says it if we get to interact with him. So I'm expecting, more extrapolation on an already really well-defined magic system and an entirely new cast of characters with new stories and new problems and new journeys. So yeah. that's my expectation. I think that's great. I, I don't want to don't paint anything else on top of that picture. I'm so excited to go into these books. I've already very recently reread the first one in the series to set up for note-taking and whatnot. And... I am so stoked to talk about this. And that coverage will begin on the week of the 15th. So very excited for all of that to come out. Beyond that, that's where we're going to leave you for this week. Thank you, as ever, to Tim and Andrew for keeping our show's lights on. You can find our show notes you can you can check out our show notes which have links to our schedule our patreon our previous episodes our websites our social media accounts all in one very convenient location all that said i do want to thank one of our existing bartenders for upgrading to the other bartender tier donna you adopt you moved up from an early adopter tier to the other one to support us more and i love that i i really appreciate that endlessly you know it's it's a buck but it's patreon takes a lot less and we make a little bit more and you know every little bit counts to keeping our little show afloat so we really appreciate that and if you haven't already joined the patreon you should so that you can hang out with all these cool people that asked us all these cool questions this week you know we did have some from of course twitter and instagram and whatnot but you know, come come on. The water's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's Beyond awesome. That. I didn't I didn't realize that that was something that happened. So, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I I got the email alert and I was like, "Oh, thanks." Mm, that's so nice. So, we really appreciate that for sure. 
Beyond that, you can find us, as PJ had mentioned, Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com, patreon.com forward slash Words and Whiskey, t shirts on T Public. Follow the link, as PJ had mentioned. We've got a number of things going on. We're going to be, I'm going to be at Dragon Steel. Me, maybe. Which will be fun. PJ, maybe. I have a ticket. Um, PJ's a ticket. The Hang problem Kyle, is it's so. a Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, the question is, is, do we go like a Thursday? Well, the question the is, can Friday I get that off work? That's your own problem. I'm going to be know. a Dragon Steel, folks. PJ's going to try to figure it out. We're going to try. <laughs> it's going to be very exciting. Regardless, follow us there. We thank you all for all your support for listening to us throughout this entire era of books. This was something new for us. This was our first series transition. So we're all very thankful for all of those of you who listened to the show over the course of the last couple of months as we moved from Red Rising and whatnot, and all of the new ones of whom joined to listen to us cover the Cosmere. So with that, we'll see you next week for an episode with Shardcast and the weeks following. We'll see you in Arid 2. See you then. Ta-ta! Ta-ta!